1991 in the Legacy Series. We have a bonus episode that might be the best bonus episode of all time. Miz fan went up to bat in the bottom of the ninth and hit a walk-off grand slam with the material that we have today. We've been talking about this for a long time. 1991 and 1997, two years that we were excited to get to. If you're following the show, um, you should know that we will be going on hiatus soon. So we have one more episode before we do that. We have next week's Survivor Series. But right now, in this episode, we are getting into the heart of character development, of storytelling, of the things that make us, I think, wrestling fans at the heart of the matter so much so that almost Vince McMahon, you persuaded me to get rid of the wrestling ring. For years and years and years, decades, I have complained that Vince McMahon and Vince Russo used to joke about if we can just get rid of the wrestling ring. Almost thou persuadest me to get rid of the wrestling ring. Because when I see Jake Roberts and The Undertaker and I see the funeral parlor and I see Paul Bearer, I start to think, why do we even need the ring? I finally get your vision. My Lord, it's so good. But you know what? At the end of the day, the wrestling ring is still what makes everything else work. Because you know when Jake Roberts leaves you into a pit of snakes or the Undertaker comes out of a casket, there's only one way that they can ever pay the price. I don't care how exciting it is at the saloon. If there's no shootout, then there's no urgency. There's no punishment. You have to have the wrestling ring. But my friend, for today, we are putting the ring to the side a little bit. We are looking at these great storylines. We are looking at these great promos. We are looking at these great moments in 1991. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovel because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome indeed back to WWF, the Legacy Series. We are here today to talk about all things post-SummerSlam, pre-Survivor Series in the year of 1991, which has shaped up to be one of the best possible years that we could have covered. I am uh, tickled pink to hear that this bonus footage went over so well with my colleague. I hoped it would. I hope that you enjoyed it as well. If you were able to follow along, I put the whole watch list up on Twitter. I am at Spectral Gent. Check it out. Follow it along. There are gems galore here. We are talking mainly about two big storylines, which almost blend to be one big storyline because there are so many Great things intertwining here. On the one side, we've got Randy Savage, Jake the Snake, The Undertaker. On the other side, we got Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, and Hulk Hogan. But not just them. We have so many other great figures involved. Everybody is in everybody else's bins in this time. It is great. I'm going to throw out that this is Wrestling Ring plus Wrestling. 
not not a wrestling in addition to a wrestling ring, but it is the wrestling ring leveled up to not just include what is in the matches, but everything else great that is around wrestling. Everything you could want, in my opinion, is right here in this set. There's some wonderful stuff going on here, and I am excited to get into it. I agree 100%. I don't think it will ever get better this year, 1997, certain years. And I had a thought, and I'm just going to put it out. I don't know. It, it developed throughout the entirety of my notes. I started to think you don't almost have no better time, especially when you start to factor in money and success, than WCW in 1996, when the outsiders arrived and started creating chaos, when they powerbombed Eric Bischoff through a set, when they started doing things that you just think you cannot do that here. And the difference with this is that they did it and they were successful because we knew where they were from. They were not from the outside. They were from New York. They were from the World Wrestling Federation. But I am here to posit this strange conspiracy theory that developed as I watched this rich footage. And that, my friend, is this. The original outsiders are not Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. The original outsiders are Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker. And we don't fear them and we don't enjoy them because of where they came from. We fear and enjoy them because we have no idea where they came from. What shadow did they crawl out of and how did they bring the shadows with them? What damage they are doing? They have taken out the ultimate warrior to the point he no longer exists. They have taken out Randy Savage to the point that he's not macho. He's not a wrestler. He is retired and he has to sit and take it. And they're going to take out Hulk Hogan. But while all this chaos happens, and this goes to your statement that we have two big stories, but they overlap because, my God, who is the third man? That's the whole thing. Hulk Hogan came to Ric Flair's WCW and he became the third man and he took over that company in 1996. He turned it on its head. But I'm here to tell you he got the playbook from the dirtiest player in the game, because if Jake Roberts and The Undertaker are the outsiders before this show is over, we will come to understand who the third man is and he will take Hulk Hogan out. For the last time in WWF that Hulk Hogan will ever be effective. He will never come back from what's happening from these outsiders and this third man, which is the real world's champion, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Uh, Hogan will be exposed before the end of this set. We will hear what maybe you never thought you'd hear in Madison Square Garden. The fans will be chanting, we want Flair. So don't imagine this comes out of nowhere at the Royal Rumble 1992. The chickens are coming home to roost. But man, to your comment, man, there are fewer, there are few sites that I think are as affecting in wrestling than to see Jake Roberts, The Undertaker, and Paul Bear all lined up. That was a sight so terrifying. It drove the Ultimate Warrior from the company, from the WWF. That's a sight so incredible. It is hard to combat, and uh, we're going to see a lot of it on this show. So I I'm excited about all that you're talking about. I'm so into this period. It's one of the best periods I think we're ever going to cover. It is the Revenge of the Hills. I, you cannot stress enough that Ultimate Warrior is out of the company. Randy Savage is retired, and Hulk Hogan at one point will be making Suburban Commando. So like they, the baby faces are gone, and the heels are carrying it. You got Sid Justice, I guess, trying to carry the load 
But this is a Jake Roberts, Undertaker, Ric Flair, Bobby Heenan, Paul Bearer driven company right now. And it's Vince McMahon's WWF somehow at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Such a strong period of heels. You have Roddy Piper trying to come off a commentary booth to stand up for the faces because somebody's got to. Man, you got all your uh, Randy Savage there stuck at commentary, too. All, all the faces are almost caught unawares by this wave of villainy, and um, and it's great stuff. It's great to see it. I enjoy this so much. Yes, that's another sign of these outsiders, this, take, this hostile takeover, because... Even all the announcers, if you're WWF, you have to stand up and be accounted for. You have to represent and still all together. Ric Flair is going to walk right into that announcer booth and just start slapping them around. So it's not happening the way it's supposed to happen. If Roddy Piper stands up and Randy Savage stands up and Hulk Hogan comes back, they should have already beat them like the Triangle of Terror. But every single time the baby faces rise up, we will see they're going to get beat right back down. I think this episode really proves something you said that was uh, insightful on the last episode. Hulk Hogan spent so much time fighting the non-threat of Sergeant Slaughter. I think he was ill-prepared for uh, some real villains like this, and we're going to see the effects of that before the end of this show in one of my favorite segments that we're going to talk about. If you're, if you're, I will wait and see. Just, just bookmark that. <laughs> you because know the one, I, I think. <laughs> Which one? I, you know the one, I think, but we'll get there. I don't know if I do or not, because there's, oh, okay. there's a few I could think of. All right, fair enough. Fair but enough. if it's what I think, there's there's so many rich segments, and there are lessons learned, because like I said, this is the patterns are being broken. And I do believe, again, you said uh, what I said was correct, and I think it is with the slaughter stuff, but also what you said about burning goodwill, because... Mm-hmm. They've done it for so long that Ric Flair can walk in with a big gold belt and some fans in Madison Square Garden can be cheering him. And also, I am going to also put out there that perhaps if Hulk Hogan wasn't off making Suburban Commando and he left the gate unlocked when he went off to do it, that Ric Flair couldn't just stroll in and be on his front porch when he gets back home. Yeah, very true. The The history of wrestling is full of uh, wrestlers who thought they could split their time between wrestling and Hollywood, and sooner or later the fans will turn on you, and even more so if what you're producing when you're in wrestling is uh, of the quality that Hulk Hogan has been putting out since uh, the clock turned over to 1990. There's the silliness, too, of John, John Cena. Like, there's no, you're not bad for going to Hollywood, and everybody yeah. knew if John Cena wanted, got a chance, he'd probably do it, too. And so he has. Dude, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he has, and but you have that whole angle where like, oh, the rock's a monster. Oh, it's not God. that it's bad, <laughs> but the truth is in that uh, recipe is there are consequences for it that you can't go do that and do this at the same level, and there's going to be consequences. And Ric Flair is going to stand there in a WWF arena and tell us, while you were off making movies, I was winning world titles. Standing yes. in a WWF set where Hulk Hogan is nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are miles away from that silly Cena Rock thing. And it's funny, I love a good Hollywood angle. I mean, Hollywood Hogan, uh, Rock himself would do a Hollywood yeah. gimmick uh, that would be so successful in one of his best periods. And uh, yeah, no, we're, we're far away from any of that. We're, we're almost seeing the accidental uh, birth of Hollywood Hogan here. 
where his mm. popularity is definitely falling. And hey, he's even fighting a lot of the same people who will be fighting in WCW, or he's right around them here. You know, we've got Savage, Piper, Flair, of course. So, um, yeah, we're seeing a preview now, and we don't even know it at the time. Yeah. I think if there's a picture of what we're talking about, how different it is from just a year or two, three years ago, we end SummerSlam with the match made in heaven. And this is before every wedding has some kind of somebody's hidden under one of the props in the ring. You know, the show just ends with a wedding and it's happy and it's WWF. We're not the NWA. We're not Ric Flair. We're not a heel based company. We can have a wedding in the pay-per-view and everyone's happy. But we pick up this week in the hangover, in the part two, because the wedding isn't all that happened. And that has become the new storyline, it feels like. Every time the baby faces are supposed to have won, we're not done with the story. The heels aren't done. They're not playing that role anymore. And so we pick up uh, in the aftermath of what is supposed to be a match made in heaven for our dear, beloved baby faces. Yeah, and uh, I think it's interesting that certainly if you did this angle now, this would have happened during the wedding right on the show. And there's an appeal to that, but there's something I like about the fact that this all goes down uh, at the reception. You know, it's not live. It's something they have to show you later. Um, I don't know. Something about that presentation works well for me. I like it, especially for Savage and Liz, because there's so much history. I think they deserve to have that kind of full stop Mm. moment. You know, maybe I would have been disappointed when I'm watching because, you know, it was said on the show, well, oh, Jake and Undertaker have been spotted here and we're so used to, you know, instant gratification. But I think at this time, in this moment, I like it the way it played out. Indeed, indeed. It also gives uh, Lord Alfred Hayes a chance to narrate the uh, wedding reception footage, which I appreciate. Love Alfred Hayes. He's going to have a hell of a moment later on in this set, so I'll I'll praise him some more later. But uh, right here, he's narrating, and he's doing a good job. Yeah, you see the WWF universe, and you see it the way Vince McMahon set it up to be. All the baby faces are there. Even Bobby Heenan's there. uh, Gene Oakland's there. They're going to be celebrating each other. They're going to be making jokes. It's a nice little community where no bad things can happen. Uh, Bobby, I think the worst that can happen is Bobby Heenan is going through the line, greeting the new uh, bride and groom, and he is mourning and grieving Randy Savage for the fact that Randy Savage uh, got married. Randy Savage says, I feel sorry for you, too. Show this man the exit. So, you know, it's that nice little world of baby faces where the worst thing you have is not a snake. you got a weasel uh, in the crowd, and it's easy to eliminate. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a very nice moment. Um, I definitely think, yes, in this era of WWF, probably when these wrestlers go home, like somehow they're still around each other all the time, and they like interact at every social event, and they just have like their little groups that they go around with. So it's fun. It's good stuff. It is. Gene Oakland giving the toast. It really, this is when WWF is at its best and where, like you just said, it feels like the only world they exist in is with each other. And so why wouldn't Gene Oakland be giving the toast? The world doesn't get bigger than this. Why wouldn't JJ Dillon be an extra or why wouldn't it be this person or that person like in the setting? Did you spot JJ Dillon in there? I probably didn't. I thought I did. But I don't it's even know possible. I don't know the timeline, but he certainly I works in the WWF for a good stretch of time. So it looked like someone that looked like him, but who knows? 
You know, it probably was. I'm trying to remember. I could be wrong on the time, but there are some, like, really obscure segments on, like, All-American Wrestling or something where Heenan, I think when the title is vacated, where Heenan is trying to find out what happens, and J.J. Dillon is, like, one of the people he's pestering. So it, it really could have been him. There's a, there's some background J.J. Dillon stuff right around this time. Okay. So this, too, is just you got you got to get every wholesome tradition in, every – yeah, it's just a world a world made right. We got to cut the cake. We got to open the gifts. We got to do all the things. And it goes on for so long that you think that's all you're watching in this video. I'm really glad I was able to find a copy of, like, the whole reception. Because a lot of times when you look at this, you just find, you know, the incident. And that's the important part. But I don't know. There's something about having kind of the whole presentation that, uh, that I, I appreciate. You know, I think it builds up well to what happens after. I agree. And we, every time we talk about authenticity, again, if you cut out the world that they live in and just go to the act, why do I care that the act is happening when it's when it's disrupting a world that doesn't even exist? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So if, if uh, you know, you go right to the disruption, then what is it even disrupting? So I'm glad I was able to find this copy. This is what I said when I used to try to watch Raw the last 20 years every now and then. <laughs> and it would always be after a pay-per-view and whoever won and became world champion would come to the ring and they would get in- interrupted by the next challenger the day after. And, I, you know, you start to think, like, does it even matter? Because, like, either you're going to be the guy in the ring that doesn't get to speak or you could just be the guy on the ramp and just come out and interrupt them. Either way, you know, there's no in-between. There's no world. There's no existence. It's just hit from point to point. And to me, if I'm fake marrying Liz and we don't even have a reception and snakes come out, I'm just as responsible for the snakes as Jake Roberts and The Undertaker because we're all in on it together. Nothing's being disrupted. So I want the in-between spaces or or I, I don't know that I buy into some of this. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It definitely when sometimes things just happen because those things happen and that those details build the world. So that's, that's a very nice thing to appreciate. So what do you think about the, the culmination here? Oh man, this is, um, iconic stuff. This lives in my head, uh, ever since I saw it, it's a great angle as they're opening the gifts. Of course, everyone probably knows, but I'll tell you anyway, Miss Elizabeth opens one and finds a snake inside that snake pops up in the chaos immediately undertaker lunges into frame and knocks randy savage out with that urn jake is on the scene he is picking up the snake he is menacing miss elizabeth this is chaotic this is threatening bad things are going to happen until sid of all people because he loves justice i guess comes in runs off the heels with one of those wooden reception chairs um and it, it's great stuff, and I sit here marveling not only at how good this segment is, but how Jake avoided an in-ring feud uh, with both Warrior and Sid, but also got to have like a great angle with both of them. So that's really the best of all possible worlds. It is. I think that's partly why the heels thrive in this era, because when I watch Jake Roberts take stupid Ultimate Warrior to the pit and he's got a blank look on his face, or even Sid who's running around you know, trying to install justice, but he's not going to outsmart Jake Roberts. Like we're seeing Jake Roberts and the undertaker dominate the story because it's thought based. It's, it's thought and action based. But then when I think about, Oh, Jake Roberts has to go wrestle Sid 
well, that's the shootout. That's where the tide is going to turn. But he escapes the ring with both of them. And I don't know if it's just the luckiest run anyone's ever had, but man, they are they are on his turf and he is not on theirs. There's no justice. There's no payoff. There's no uh, ultimate warrior picks you up, drops you and splashes you. There's no power bomb. It's just existing on the plane of Jake Roberts and the Undertaker. Yeah, and Jake dodging uh, both of these bullets, I think, will just make it more satisfying when he finally, finally gets in the ring with Randy Savage to fight this out. Man, that that's some hot stuff. That's some stuff uh, we will probably see the culmination of only after our hiatus, so I'm going to be anticipating that for quite a while here. Yeah, it, it is in part, I think, what is going to elevate Macho Man Randy Savage yeah. To become yeah. the guy who's going to win the belt at WrestleMania. Because, like you said, all the obvious people don't get it done. It's going to be a heated, heated Randy Savage on the other side of Survivor Series. Oh, yeah. I'm as fired up as we have seen him. And, man, poor guy. He finally found his peace. And here's a guy who is just going to light that flame and make it burn hotter than ever again. So that that's, that's too bad for Randy Savage. But you know what? That's wrestling. You're in the wrong business if you don't want to play to your element if you don't want to go up to what your potential is in the wrestling ring it's going to happen sooner or later yeah it's also a wrestling world even when when it's like this this is where you get the point that i don't care how much entertainment there is i don't care how much character based i love all of that that's what we're excited about this week but it's still about wrestling to the point that when randy savage can't wrestle He's not the macho man. He's not the actor. He has to be knocked out and hope that another man and another wrestler comes in and saves his wedding. He has to rely on Sid Justice. He has to behave in ways that we've never seen him behave because if you cannot wrestle, you know, you're no longer the sheriff. You no longer have the badge. You no longer have the gun. There's not going to be a shootout. You can't do anything to ha- about what happens. It is a strange set of time. We are watching Randy Savage uh, take on roles that his character has never taken on. And lo and behold, he's just as good at this as he is anything else in the series. Oh, yeah. I mean, this next thing we're going to cover is so unlike anything that we have seen from Savage. And yet he really totally nails it, I think. So we're going to see some range of Randy Savage here. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk again, I think about how they missed their opportunities to really capitalize on Hogan and flair. But, you know, the upside of all of this is we talked about this, uh, in the forums as well, is that we will get Savage flair, which will be wonderful. We will get Savage as champion again. There will be a lot of upside as well to the way that things turn out. Absolutely. So let's jump into it. It's reinstate the Macho Man, and this I agree with you. Uh, this is as phenomenal as anything I've seen Savage do, and it's as different as anything I've seen him do. Oh, it's great stuff. We have a special report. It is brought to us by Lord Alfred Hayes and sponsored by Toys R Us. So there's a little nostalgic pop for mm-hmm. you if you are of an age with uh, myself and Mystic. Um, we, uh, we hear from Hayes that Jack Tunney turned down Savage's request to be reinstated, and Randy Savage trashed his office and stormed off, and uh, then he was encountered later by Gene Okerlund, 
who is now interviewing Randy Savage on a park bench. And this this is a great segment. I'm very glad we were able to pull this one up. Absolutely. This is vulnerable Randy Savage. It is thankful Randy Savage. I never in my life would have imagined that the Savage Liz ceremony would be interrupted. The Savage would not do anything. The Sid Justice would have to come in. And Randy Savage would thank God for Sid Justice. Yeah, the Randy Savage, uh, perhaps having shown his maturity as a person compared to in the past, or he is thankful for Sid instead of uh, jealous of him or uh, angry at him for yeah. getting involved. I think there's a time when he definitely would have felt those feelings. But here, yes, he is angry, but also feeling somber, and he is feeling grateful. And there's there's a lot of emotion going on in this scene here, a lot of different feelings that the Macho Man is having. Yeah, we, we we get into trauma here without saying the name. Mm. He talks about what Elizabeth went through, and she's not going to be better tomorrow. She's not better today, and truth is we don't know when or if she's ever going to be better. And he says, what would you do? What would anyone else do? And it doesn't even feel like a rhetorical question. It It, it sounds like someone who used to be the macho man who is now a regular human being who doesn't know what human beings do in response, asking a legitimate question. What do you do in a situation like this? I don't know how to be this person. I'm trying to be the non wrestler, the non macho man. I'm trying to be this thing. But what do you do when something like this happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked before, I think, about how uh, a lot of the top wrestlers in this era are larger than life, they're almost uh, godlike, you know, they're far from humanity at times, and yet we are definitely seeing a lot of stuff which brings out the human element of these guys, and man, just seeing Randy Savage there, not in a crazy hat, not in a, just, just wearing like some tie-dye and a bandana, and sitting on this bench and, and struggling with these things, man, there's something very compelling about that to me. Yeah. I wrote somewhere up here, if you're a, if you're macho enough, you never have to feel trauma. And Randy Savage is allowed to feel trauma for one of the first times. I really do think in years gone by, he would be going after Undertaker, Jake Roberts, and Sid Justice right now. Yeah. Uh, and so what a world where you admit, like, I can't be everything. I don't, I can't do everything. I can feel things. And I'm more upset about what Elizabeth is going through in a new marriage that I have to somehow try to keep together than simply getting revenge. Because if I took out Jake Roberts and The Undertaker today, it doesn't change what's happening in my marriage right now. Uh, indeed. Yeah, we'll probably never see Savage treat Liz more like a, a person than yes. he does in this segment instead of just sort of a prize or, a, you know, a prop. So uh, it's so good. I, I really hope people are able to watch along with these segments because man, this is some of the richest stuff that I've seen in wrestling. Yeah, this is the case. This is that case. When we first started watching this, we thought all we were going to do was re- rehabilitate the reputation of Randy Savage, say he was better than Hulk Hogan. He was the guy in WWF and it really didn't go that way for a long time, but we have found ourselves in a phase where everything that we wanted to claim is also going to be the objective truth in the WWF. Oh, yeah. Savage has increased as Hogan has decreased. And at this point, yeah, there is so much more value, I think, in Randy Savage than in the former golden boy, Hulk Hogan. This is also I agreed with you. Since you said it, but. 
I am firmer in the stance that he should have been in the WWF as a top star until 1997. Oh, absolutely. This guy, you know, I'll love Shawn Michaels, but Savage putting Austin over to retire in 1998, you know, would have just been. Can you imagine? I was thinking about this. I think about this a lot just because we do the show and it's the kind of guy I am. But, man, can you imagine grizzled Randy Savage after all these years being a top guy? Vince McMahon is doing his heel turn. He goes to Randy Savage and says, you've always been there for me. I need you. You have to take out Steve Austin for me. Man, like. I don't know. There's just such richness to that. And you can go all the way down the line, all the years, think of all the great Randy Savage stuff that we could have seen. And, man, he did great stuff in those years in WCW as well. But, man, there is something about that road not taken. And it's a road that absolutely could have been taken. I think he would have stayed in the WWF if Vince had really wanted him to. So, I don't know. We don't know all the details. But, God, man, there are some opportunities on the table there. Yeah, it complicates things in a, in a great way because if you're Steve Austin, you have no problem turning Vince McMahon, the announcer, and the guy who made this floor for you into Mr. McMahon, and he's evil and because he, he doesn't want to put you over. But if you're Randy Savage, if we hadn't like obliterated all those guys, if some of them were still around, even as they're watching him become Mr. McMahon and do these awful things – how much do they still want him to be the Vince McMahon and how much do they owe him and how much do they feel loyalty to him? So, and who, who better to play than Randy Savage? Because if you get in Randy Savage's head and you pull the right strings, you can make him do a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. And God, I can just imagine them. (laughs) Randy Savage, um, I could just see him in 1997, 1998, looking at Steve Austin and saying, you know, I used to be you. I used to hold on to all this anger. I used to cause chaos wherever I went, all this stuff. And I'm going to stop at you before you become me. And, man, I don't know. Just I want to see that feud. I want to see that timeline. I wish it could have happened. Yeah, and this is just evidence that it could because we're going to rightfully, what, 96 or so, we're going to brag about the depth that Mick Foley will take us on the storytelling with Jim Ross. Yeah. Well, this is 1991 and Randy Savage, Randy Savage is already showing he can, he can just flip the script and tell a completely different story based on vulnerability, trauma and shame. So like he's right in line to be doing whatever we're going to brag about in five or six years in WWF. Man, Savage and Foley. There's another one yeah. that holy smokes, that, that would have yes. been something as well. Man, so many great opportunities. Man, this is yeah. For for those out there uh, who are listening to this show, more than ever, like watch the clips, follow along because this is a story that not only to watch but just immerse yourself in it and enjoy the richness of this time. Mm, please do, man. We I'm I'm sad as well because we're not even going to get Savage versus Undertaker out of this. You know, even though he came to his wedding reception and. Knocked him over the head with an urn. He's, he's just not going to get to it. And that's just because the dance card is too crowded for these guys right now. But, man, that's another one I would have loved to see. Yeah. And we're also we're just not in a moment where one baby face can, can, can produce justice for every heel who wrongs him. <laughs> oh, that's so true. I was thinking out of all this, man, I love a good six-man tag. And if we could have really seen Savage Piper Hogan against Undertaker, Jake, and Flair at any point in time. Jesus Christ, man, just look at all those names involved there. Like, 
that blows my mind even think about what that could have been. Yeah, that's how you do it. Mm, so good. Unlike SummerSlam, that is how you do it. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, we're coming out of a period... Um, at one point, we were in a period of intense lameness, and then it sort of became 50-50, and now, man, now we have entered kind of like another golden hour, and I'm feeling real good about it. Yeah, and we're about to, again, and this is what I uh, said with the outsiders, like, they would come on WCW shows and behave in ways that the company, you don't behave that way. You don't come out of the crowd, Scott Hall. And stand in the ring like he didn't attack the wrestlers. He just stood in the ring till they stopped wrestling and walked away. Mm. Like you don't behave like that in this frame. And we're about to go to primetime wrestling with the with the jokes and the live crowd and and the the fun and games. And Jake Roberts is gonna walk in there like he doesn't even know how to read the room and just turn it into a completely different place with one of the best promos you're gonna see in a long time. Like, primetime is always a treasure trove of like great stuff that goes under the radar but i was really glad we could pull this one up as well i'm probably gonna say that a lot today but yes we do go to an episode of primetime with sean mooney and bobby heenan in the studio setting and yeah like it's the jokes and then jake comes out with a cobra in his hand and he's got that glove on and man something about that glove it's like soaked in evil or something every time i see it i think of evil and man he's just out there causing chaos before the commercial break before they can get things calmed down yeah and i love sean mooney but he goes full vince mcmahon announcer he's like you didn't say anything about bringing a snake out have you met this guy? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's his whole deal. So, no, that's good stuff. They're not ready. They are not ready for this. They know they are not bowing. They are not. They are not compromising. Um, they're not being commanded. So, you invite Jake on, and you be ready for what Jake's gonna bring. Oh yeah, especially now. I mean, <laughs> it's the guy before the end of this. He's gonna tell us that he's beyond good and evil anyway. So, if he doesn't even care about the, the, the moral underpinnings of the universe. Do you think he cares if you tell him not to bring a snake there? Like, he's going to bring it. That's his snake, you know? That's his thing. So, man. Yeah, Jake, this is the reinstate the Macho Man campaign. Fans are riding in to try to get Savage back in the ring, and Jake Roberts will say, you need to thank the fans who aren't riding in. <laughs> because they are saving your life. Uh, I love this talking point. We're going to hear it a couple of times, and, man... It is very damn effective. Jake is so on for this. It's so dark. It's so uh, straight to the point. It's so unapologetic. And weirdly, you know, you cut out to matches because of the show. So we cut from this to Sid going against uh, Kato. And Vincent Mann is talking about this man could be carrying the banner for a long time to come. <laughs> it is a strange, strange time where Sid Justice right now has... The ghost of the Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan on his back while they are all absent for another reason. You just got this random newcomer <laughs> is all that they have left to put up front. And then you're going to go right back to from the ring, right back to the active heels who do not miss a day to do what they're doing. Yeah, and I love this, too, because you get the little picture of picture interview that they did a lot in these times. It is Jake with Taker and Bear lurking behind him against a red background. It is a beautiful image. And Jake says, uh, maybe big, but you're dumb. You're a tourist. You don't know which way to turn. And, man, that resonates so much with me 
as a guy who is not that into Sid and who always pictures him looking around the ring, whipping his head back and forth like he's trying to connect with the fans, but maybe he's also just lost. Maybe he's a tourist and he's just wishing someone would give him directions on how to get out of this ring and go to the back. So that's a great line. Especially knowing WWF's going to turn him in the new year. That becomes prophetic on top of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no. He he was just waiting for some directions to turn heel as well. He had the Hulk Hogan recipe. I don't know what he could have done with it, but the if you are Sid Justice, as we well know, if you align yourself with justice, then you get to say that anyone who is against you is aligned with injustice. So he had the recipe that Hulk Hogan had. I don't think anyone else has had that, you know, because that that right there makes you good no matter what you do. And he came out strong, like not even speaking about Sid and how he performed, but the fact that Vince McMahon loves him and Ultimate Warrior left the company and Randy Savage, Vince, for some reason, doesn't want him wrestling. And Hulk Hogan is making Suburban Commando. This man is set up to be kind of the only image, the only hope, the only the only thing that can write this ship, and weirdly, what is this? This is uh, August, September. You know, in in less than half a year, he he is a heel for for, for some reason. So, <laughs> man, I, I've softened a little on Sid over time, but I think it's no surprise to anyone. I'm not a big fan of Sid, and this this always happens. Every time Sid comes into a company, you know, he gets some popularity because he's got a good look. He's got a charismatic aura. They always try to put him in main event matches, and they're always bad, and it never sticks, and it always flops because Sid is Sid is Sid. You could give him any advantage you want, and when the time comes, you're still going to have to put a microphone in front of his face. He's not going to be doing anything except kind of clenching his teeth and looking constipated and then he'll go in the <laughs> ring and he can't do anything. And he's Sid, man. So, yeah, like any advantage you give him, it's impossible. It's not going to pan out. It can't pan out. What's he going to do? Do a promo like Hulk Hogan and be like, I'm about justice. And <laughs> they did a bad thing to me. And I, I, I forgot my lines, you know. So, like, it just can't happen, you know. It's Sid, so it can only go so far. I agree with every statement. That you said, um, but I do want uh, Hulk Hogan. Do we agree that Hulk Hogan, whether Sid would have succeeded or not, Hulk Hogan kind of undercut him in in this run? I don't know how, like they haven't even interacted that much yet that we've seen anyway. How do you feel like he undercut him? Because we go from Sid Justice is a baby face who is being cheered over Hulk Hogan. Mm. Two, we need to turn him heel for what reason? Because uh, because he got cheered over Hulk Hogan? Uh, I guess, but it doesn't mean anything, because Flair is getting cheered over Hulk Hogan at this point. Like, it's nothing special about Sid, I don't think. People were just ready to cheer people over Hulk Hogan. So what do you do then? Do you turn Hogan heel? Like, is that the better way? And we've talked about how that doesn't really work in the WWF the same way. It's going to work later. I don't know, like... I don't say I won't say that he didn't undercut him because that's Hogan's mo. But I also think if he did, he didn't even need to, and he may well have just left well enough alone. Because I think Hogan, even half asleep, can see that Sid is never going to replace him. Do you think more people cheered for Ric Flair than Hulk Hogan at Madison Square Garden? Oh, 
Probably not, I guess, but it's very distinct that some people are really yes. cheering Flair. So, like, the tide was turning, I think. I think the tide is turning. There's going to be Undertaker fans. And I, maybe I'm over-exaggerating where I rumble what we haven't gotten to it, and I don't just sit around and rewatch it. But I know Sid has said he's never seen a grown man act like Hulk Hogan acted in the back after the Royal Rumble. <laughs> I, that I can believe. I think that was a shock to Hogan's system. But uh, I think that's not – again, I just don't think it's about Sid. I think it's about Hogan. I think Hogan probably understood that. I just don't know how we got – like I'm trying to pretend like I'm a Sid fan, which I am not. <laughs> like I am trying my best to be out of character right now because – when I look at comments online or even listen, I listen to the something to wrestle with Sid to try to get ready, ready for this. And I think they were calling him a great wrestler and a great promo at different times. And like <laughs> Lex Luger would never get a third of that. And, you know, it's just weird how Sid is considered versus a Lex Luger, for example. But if I was a Sid fan, like I would be really happy with how he came in. I would be really happy at how he ended the SummerSlam. Um, I don't know what he does. I think he leads the tag team at Survivor Series, and I'm guessing they win. Oh, no. I mean, he's Sid, so he gets hurt. He's not even at Survivor Series. Ah, so. uh, okay. <laughs> so that's the, this is the other side of it, is that Sid is not dependable no, at all. No. He doesn't, you know, he leaves the same time of the year every year for one reason or another, so he can play softball. Um, he's been known to be injured every time he has to lose the world title, and, and he stays away for a while. So not dependable. Um, I'm thinking if I get to Royal Rumble is the weird and I, we won't get into this. We have a lot to do here, but Royal Rumble is like that tornado mm. that took Dorothy in the house and flipped everything. And then the world is different. It's black and white to color. Like we're going to go into the Royal Rumble and there's like five or six suspects mm. and there's Hulk Hogan. There's Randy Savage. There's Sid. There's Ric Flair. There's the Undertaker and a tornado comes and everybody winds up in different places <laughs> and, like, I'm just trying to think. If I'm a Ric Flair fan, I'm happy. If I'm a Randy Savage fan, I'm super-duper happy. If I'm a Hulk Hogan fan, maybe I'm not all that happy. If I'm a Sid Justice fan, I'm definitely not happy. So I'm just just trying to think about how all this stuff plays out because, you know, you can like it or not, and it might not mean anything, but is it at least weird that our favorite years are 91 and 97 and that Sid Justice is just running around in both of them. <laughs> we'll just call it an unhappy coincidence, perhaps. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll speak to this for a second. And you're right. We'll talk about it more later. But I just want to say, if if, they, if that tornado doesn't come, you've got Hogan Flair. You've got Savage uh, Jake, probably. Um, what is Sid doing? Sid versus Undertaker? Does he squash Undertaker? Is that better than being in the main event? Uh, with Hulk Hogan, because he will close that show with Hulk Hogan in a putrid match, but he'll be closing that show. So, you know, I mean, what, what does Sid really have to complain about here? Uh, he, he will get a bigger match out of the deal, and it will still flop, and he will still leave the company in a huff. So I, I don't even know, like, what could you really done for Sid at that point? That's fair. Like, he definitely gets the push because Vince McMahon loves him. And will always love him. Um, I just don't know. I don't see justification for the heel turn. And once he turns heel, mm -hmm. I don't think he exists anymore, except for, for Hulk Hogan to wrestle him. And I guess he would have wrestled the warrior afterward. But how do you go from 
Like right now, whether you like him or you don't like him, he is legitimately Sid Justice. Yeah. Like he know he did the right thing at SummerSlam. He he showed up at a, a a reception that he has no no reason to be there except to bring justice. Like he is the only thing holding back the forces of darkness in a time that the forces of darkness are just having their way. And so I think he turns heel because he stands up at the press conference thinking he's getting the shot because he was the last guy in there and he gets embarrassed and all of a sudden then he's just bad the rest of his life. <laughs> or was he bad all along? No, I don't know. Yeah, it's a weak heel turn from what I remember. Maybe we will uncover something when we get to that part, but I, I certainly don't remember anything more than that. So, yeah, I don't know. I get it, but it's just hard for me to believe that it would have gone any better or different way anyway. No, um, you know, he was not going to replace Hulk Hogan. It's impossible that that could have happened. So, like, if that's the goal, then it was already a failure from the start. I agree with that. I think he might would have got a chance to play act as world champion one time. I don't <laughs> think it would have succeeded. But it's just weird. I, you know, we're just having all the conversations because, like I said last week, and I said it in the forums, like – a hundred times to zero, I want to see the Savage Flair feud over Flair, Flair Hogan, but that doesn't mean that we don't also have to have a conversation about what in the world happened when you guys were acting one way and then you end up over here. <laughs> yeah, something very odd happened. We'll we'll try to parse out the details of that as we go. So you said this, but Jake Roberts, we're talking about like hills and baby faces and hills finally getting their shot in darkness doing this. Well, Jake Roberts says, I'm beyond good and evil. Yeah, Jake's on fire here, man. He's he's doubling everything that we hope to see from him uh, in those earlier years where we were kind of a little ambivalent on him. And now, man, he is just delivering some of the best stuff that you will ever see. He says there have been others who tested me. You might as well put a gun in their mouth. Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> no, he he's incredible, man. He's just spitting out iconic lines left and right in this period. He is the he's the mouthpiece for all of this. Even Paul Bearer, you think the manager should be the mouthpiece. Paul Bearer is something else. Mm. Paul Bearer is is a, is a sound maker. Like he is he's making sounds. I think that that bring darkness to life. But Jake Roberts is is speaking words. So they have different roles there. Yeah. After WrestleMania eight, uh, we will lose four big names overnight. Those names are Hogan, Piper, Sid, and Jake. And man, I'll be damned if I don't think Jake was probably the biggest loss out of out of those four at this point in time. Is that Undertaker versus Jake? Yep, that's it. See, I I, I don't even know how Undertaker gets there, but right now I'm not happy with the fact that the Undertaker is going to be changing trajectories. Yeah, I mean, we'll judge that when we come to it. Uh, that that maybe is another result of the tornado that uh, is a little weak in retrospect, but we'll wait and see what that looks like. I think they can't help it in a way because the fans want to cheer the Undertaker. It's, it's a weird yeah. era where if you watch every show, there are children, and I mean maybe five and maybe even ten and twelve years old, who seem like they believe the Undertaker, they're afraid of the Undertaker, and they want to go home. <laughs> but they're also cheering the Undertaker. So like <laughs> a weird thing's happening right now. Hey, sometimes kids like to be scared. What can you say? Yeah. You know? And this is how good I, I want people to really understand your role in this, that you went and dug all of this out of the ground and placed it in order. It's one of the most beautiful bonus uh, footage uh, groupings and sequences to the point that 
we got an Undertaker entrance we're about to watch where it's like, don't even watch the match, just watch this entrance. And, you know, if you're not you and me or the people who listen to this show, you think, why are you making me watch an entrance? But, like, just watch the entrance. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to talk about it or just want to let people watch it for themselves? No, I want to talk about it. But, I okay. mean, just by God, watch the entrance. <laughs> it's so good. So this is a battle, for, battle in Royal Albert Hall, this great – great venue this old amazing venue in the uk it's got all these balconies and it's beautiful and it's got this giant organ in it and when the undertaker comes out this organ is like a hundred something even more years old something and they got a guy up there playing the undertaker's theme live on this amazing organ coming out in this amazing venue man don't like I think he's just like Jim Duggan or something. So don't watch it for God's sakes. But man, watch this entrance and just appreciate for a minute how epic this is, how great it is. I love this. I'm glad we got a chance to watch it. Yeah, it's this Phantom of the Opera style. This guy's got a mask on, mm. and this is why I don't want him as a baby face so fast because I love. Can you imagine if people from his world? Like we don't even know what his world is, and we're not even acknowledging them, but they just show up every now and then. All these creatures and people from his world, you know, <laughs> it is eerie. It's also when people say that WWF is not wrestling, it's something else, and only WWF can do it. Nine times out of ten, I don't agree. This is one of the segments I agree with. This is a WWF can only do this, and they hit the they they they're ten ten on the Undertaker right now. Um, Watch the segment, enjoy the segment, but also you got some funny Bobby Heenan stuff. So first of all, he says that you know he has um, he has hair standing where he doesn't have hair because it's such an eerie entrance. Then Gene Oakle, or Grill Monsoon says, "Who is that playing the music?" And he says, "The organist, stupid." <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of my favorite Heenanisms is where he um, he pulls a Leslie Nielsen and kind of yeah. answers your question with like a non-answer that makes you feel stupid. I love that. That's wonderful. It's, it's a couple of minutes of it. Just watch it. And you got to be thinking if you're Vince McMahon, like what did we stumble upon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. They must've been thanking their lucky stars and somebody, I don't know if they were smart enough, but I hope somebody who booked mean Mark is like, Oh, huh? Yeah. We probably could have done something better. So, <laughs> Was it Ole? Someone in the NWA told him he would never draw money. Probably Ole, yeah. He was not on his best game at that time, so he, he was doing a bad job. This, this is phenomenal, and it's so understated. Like, There's going to be good stuff, but we're going to get the Druids, and, and we're going to get the casket, and, we're, and there's going to be so much narrative on it. But you can never beat the time where this stuff is just coming forth. And you don't yet have a narrative. You don't know where he came from or where these things are coming from. They're just happening. Like, you can never have that again. And that's what we're in right now. I love beginnings because everything is possible. Everything is fresh. Undertaker and Paul Bearer just produce from thin air, from the ground perhaps, a Phantom of the Opera-style organist to play him into Royal Albert Hall. So God knows how that was done, what dark... Uh, process that followed but man it, it is a beautiful sight to see and maybe i should save this praise for later but it just came to mind when we're talking about some of the best storytelling in 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 wwf history so much of it runs through the funeral parlor and yes. so when ultimate warrior for example beat hulk hogan is he 
he's replacing Hulk Hogan, but he's the next Hulk Hogan, but he's something different. He never was any of that. Mm -hmm. But quietly, Mr. Paul Bearer has taken everything that's been wrong with the WWF because, yeah, their stories have sucked. At times, the main events have sucked, that kind of thing. But they also, they were running everything through Brother Love's show. This man came and did to Brother Love what Ultimate Warrior should have done to Hulk Hogan, but couldn't. <laughs> Improved upon him and replaced him in every meaningful yes, way. So all yes, of it. oh my God, yes, yeah, so good. Fooey on the Brother Love show. Fooey on the stupid um, barbershop. You know the other one because that's running mm. concurrently. Yeah. So they could have put this stuff over there. And let's thank God in heaven that they did not do that. Um, th- this is the show that you want to be on the funeral parlor. It's got the best set. It's got the best host. It brings out the best in everyone. We'll see many funeral parlor segments today. And it seems like each one will be better than the last. Oh, man, I got a question for you. I don't know the answer to it. Okay. Same storylines that we love so much. Mm-hmm. But Brother Love manages The Undertaker and everything happens on the Brother Love show. I don't think it's the same. No, you lose something vital there. You can't stress that, like, it would have made no sense for one thing, because Undertaker is, like, popping up on half of these and, like, doing something meaningful. So, you know, where's he? Is he going to come out of a little podium on Brother Love's show? Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's stupid. It would have <laughs> tanked him from the start. And then you can't undersell how important Paul Bearer is to this, the way he speaks, the way he conducts these interviews, the aura that he brings with him, it adds an essential piece of the puzzle. And all Brother Love ever did was detract. He never added anything. He will subtract from your interview. So, yes, it would absolutely lose something if we followed down that uh, unpleasant path of which you speak. Man, I, I appreciate that. None of this is even in my notes. This has just come upon me. And I think Paul Bearer should win awards. I think he, people need to understand not only, like you just said, Brother Love would take away from the segment, not just not add something to it. But we also have the fact Bobby Heenan just left out of managing. Like we just lost like the pillar of all of it. And if there's anything that makes it sting a whole lot less, it's not even the great managers who were with Bobby Heenan. It is this newcomer who is both manager and personality, man, I think right up there with all of them, right up there with Savage right now, with Jake Roberts, with The Undertaker, Paul Bearer's got to be in that conversation. And I think there should be some Rookie of the Year awards for Mr. Paul Bearer. (laughs) Indeed. A rookie to the WWF, of course, a very experienced manager in his own right, was Percy Pringle III. But, man, no, he's wonderful. And he's coming in at a time where managers, you know, are kind of in danger you know, Bobby Heenan going away. None of his replacements are working out. We will hear before the end that uh, Slick is becoming a reverend and he will never be the same. Um, you know, we've got Jimmy Hart clinging to relevance and sort of like not doing very well with it. All this stuff. And yet Paul Bear will come in here and he will stand up with any of them, with the best of them, and just absolutely knock it out of the park. An essential part of what makes this era great. And, and on day one, you're playing a character you've never really played this, this super over the top that could easily flop. And from day one, you got to stand on the stage 
with Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, like all the WWF money storylines, and you're in the center of them. So you better on day one be able to pull this character off and not do anything to damage the most important storylines in the company and also enhance them from day one, and he does it. Yeah, home run, grand slam, Paul Bear, one of the best, absolutely, deserves any good thing that we can say about him. Yeah, so we're going to go from that to we got two Undertaker matches. We're going to start off with uh, um, Barcelona is the Undertaker taking on Tito Santana. Yeah, I'll just say God bless uh, these European tours. I don't know why these get taped and retained more than a lot of this other stuff. But, man, they produced some very interesting gems, I think, on this show. When I saw Undertaker versus Tito Santana, I'm like, I got to see that match. And uh, it, it, it was very fun, I think, um, to check this one out. The, this is not the most amazing match you'll ever see, but it's a very interesting match. It's a very fun match at times, and I was really glad we got a chance to check it out. I'd never seen this before, so I really wanted to see this, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. And it's also, you remember that not only is this gimmick happening in these storylines, but you've taken Mean Mark who didn't really get over. He was kind of just there. He wasn't great. He wasn't bad. He was just kind of there. You met, you brought him to another company and told him, be slower than you can imagine. Like, slow down, slow down. You're not even alive. Slow down. And so he's he, like, you got to make this whole other thing, this, there still is a wrestling ring. There's still a matches. He's got to make this whole other thing work while they're making these big time storylines work. Absolutely. I mean, we we talked a lot about Undertaker's presentation, about his storylines and how good they are. But, man, yeah, we got to look at these matches as well because that's the important part. We can't get rid of that wrestling ring like we talked about. We need those matches. So he is slow. Um, you could say his moveset is a little limited still. He does a lot of choking. But, man, there, there's something about this early Undertaker matches that I enjoy because the presentation is so different. It's basically like he's slow but invincible and I don't know. It's not, it's not going to explode your mind or anything with how great it is. But there's something about it that I do find compelling. Yeah. I wonder if it would work in any era where you don't halfway think that he is a zombie that has come out from some strange place. <laughs> I think uh, certainly if someone came out with this wrestling style today, uh, they would not be popular. You know, they would be panned. I think uh, putting aside the character and everything, if someone was just in the ring like this, it would not work out. So, yeah, I think it has to work in the right time and place. The most interesting thing to me is towards the end, Tito starts putting a bunch of pile drivers on the Undertaker. <laughs> well, he's got to do something. You yeah. know, uh, maybe the most amazing thing about this match is Tito will actually get the victory. He will get the three count. And uh, that's nice. I did not expect that, to be honest. Even being in Spain, I thought they would still job him out. But you got to do something to, to kind of prove that you could beat the Undertaker. So, yeah, all these pile drivers, he'll use the urn. He'll do all this stuff to actually get that victory. And, Matt, I'll just say it was very nice to see Tito get any victory. Like, I feel yeah. like it's been a while. Yeah, you, you definitely have to be well off the narrated, narrated path for Tito to get a victory. You know, it really <laughs> has been a lot of downhill since uh, since the tag team days. Strike for us, yeah. 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 I don't know. It, to me, I'm starting to get sad uh, when I see him sometimes. I still enjoy him, but, man, we know that he soon is going to have a gimmick change, and I wouldn't be shocked if he was out of the company like in a, in a month or two, when I watch, even when he's winning, because there's just no 
where are his storylines? You know, who, what does he care about? You know, in my mind, he's probably still waiting to wrestle Rick Martel, you know, to get his revenge or something. <laughs> he's still wearing the Strikeforce gear, I think. Yeah. So, you know, you got something there. But, yeah. Now, we will learn soon he cares about bullfighting, apparently. Yes. And it will not serve <laughs> him well. <laughs> and yet, he's got so much to offer still. Because we're going to see him wrestle The Undertaker here. He's going to do a really good job. We're going to see him wrestle Flair a little later. He's going to do a great job there. So, it's not for lack of ability, it's just, yeah, they haven't given, like, any kind of meaningful thing for him to do in a long time. So, I don't know. He and Greg Valentine are uh, epic rivals, but they're in the same spot now, you know, where they sort of don't matter anymore. And yet, they still have a lot to offer, so we will touch on both of them here. Yeah, great segue, because we do have Undertaker and Greg Valentine. And Valentine is sort of in this role, and I'm more used to this because of the, the era that I watched. Greg Valentine was almost always in this role, but man, he also deserves better. He does, yeah. I'm glad at least he got this opportunity because I think uh, there's some pretty fun stuff here as well. Uh, this is uh, English commentary again, Spanish on the last one. We have Gorilla Monsoon and uh, Alfred Hayes. They do some great stuff. Uh, Alfred Hayes calls Taker the most inscrutable wrestler, and Gorilla mm. Monsoon wonders what he would charge to haunt a small house. That's good stuff. <laughs> Yes, that is awesome. I like watching these. You get these takes on how they're presenting The Undertaker. And you get the Greg Valentine, who is still going to go up there and punch and chop and try to like just cut down The Undertaker. It, this is the stuff I was talking about uh, when errors overlap and you got an old school guy wrestling a zombie. And he's still going to see, like, well... If you kick a guy in the knee, even if he's a zombie, you know, or if you, if you, if you chop it, what happens? You know, like he's going to test out everything from his error, even though he, he's over the line and into some other error, whether he knows it or not. <laughs> have you, uh, tell me, Mystic, have you watched the show Breaking Bad? I have not. Oh, there's a character on there who reminds me a little of, uh, of Greg Valentine. If anyone has watched, uh, think about the character of Mike who is just this kind of old grizzled guy who's a little past his time. And yet he's always the most competent guy in the room just because uh, he's better on the block. He has a very uh, simple, logical mind where he can uh, kind of solve any problem through um, a mix of smarts and brute force. I feel that a little in Greg Valentine. If you bring him a zombie, he'll be like, okay, kill the zombie. <laughs> like he won't think twice about it. So there's some good stuff there. That's something I would like to also ask people who watched Greg Valentine in his prime and his mm. youth, you know, was he a Ric Flair guy with the robes and the flamboyance, you know, cause all I've ever seen is like, this is a rugged guy. I but mean, like, there are some overlaps. Like you can see it, like he'll do the flare flop. He might've done it before flare even, uh, or a version of it where he sort of like stands there and then, uh, falls over kind of like, uh, after the fact. So there's some aspect of that, but from what I have seen, at least I think he's always a bit rougher a more rugged than Ric Flair would have been. Yeah, because he's the hammer. So right. I just wonder, like, is he flamboyant? Is he a ladies' man? Like, I, I don't know what his youth was, but, man, he, to <laughs> me, the Valentine who I always see in the eras that I usually am watching is just, I don't know. He, he just he just reminds me a lot of my dad and my uncles and guys that, you know, work outside they work with their hands you know and they 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 fix things without ever using instruction manuals and they do it in a way that it's not supposed to be done and there's like tape holding things together but it runs longer than like if they had done it the right way 
that's kind of the Greg Valentine I know, but I kind of wonder, like, in his youth, was he a different presentation, or or how was that? I don't know. Uh, certainly check out Benjamin Button's uh, Fragments of Flair series. There's some great classic Greg Valentine in there. Might answer some of your questions. Uh, certainly, yeah. I, I, I don't think early Valentine is so much different than this. Maybe a little more flairish, mm. but not... Not to the extent that you would ever confuse the two. I mean, he is the hammer. He is rough. He will just beat the hell out of you in the ring in a different way than Ric Flair would have done. So do check it out. I always recommend some Greg Valentine. Yeah. And this is just simple WWF marketing. Marketing is clear and clever. It's it's clarity. It's not being clever. You have an undertaker who does a tombstone. Mm. You know, it's so simplistic, but everything about it just works. Yeah. Yep, it absolutely does. Um, this is a fun match as well. Uh, you get uh, a lot of heavy strikes from Valentine. You get Undertaker. Uh, <laughs> there's a great moment um, where he's just got him in the corner, and he's just choking him, and the camera's real close in, and you can hear Undertaker like breathing heavily mm-hmm. and like rolling his eyes up. I'm just looking at this. It's so good, and it could have flopped, and yet we really do, I think, have to praise Mark Calloway for getting this gimmick over, because I think in the wrong hands it really could have been bad, and yet he will sell it so well, he will really put it over well in uh, all of these matches and segments that we are going to see. No, it's one of the only storylines and gimmicks where we're talking about this as some of the best stuff we've ever seen, and I still think it's going to flop from in any day now. <laughs> Just imagine this in the wrong hands. Like, this is an extreme example, but imagine them gave this to Brutus Beefcake or something. Like, (laughs) just a lot of people could have made this gimmick into something awful, so I'm I'm just glad it went the way it did. Yeah, absolutely. It also helps that he has Jake Roberts in the beginning, so I think it takes a lot of pressure off of him. You know, he doesn't have to be all things to all people. He just gets to be the guy who hides in caskets, which is uh, becoming a really... We'll get to that later, but I, I really enjoy like his his whole routine on the funeral parlor. Oh yeah, no, I love it. There's some very good stuff there for sure. Um, Valentine will get the figure four on uh, Taker in this match, but uh, Paul Bearer will kind of draw him off. Undertaker will stand up, which uh, amazes Alfred Hayes, who uh, maybe hasn't been paying attention to the fact that Undertaker doesn't feel pain. Uh, he will hit that tombstone. He will get the win. Uh, it's not a super long match, but it is one I recommend because there's some very fun stuff. As the Mystic said, there's kind of a clash of styles and eras in here that works out well. Yeah, definitely check it out. You can see early Undertaker on his rise. This is a man who's both a rookie and about to be heavyweight champion. Uh, and he's going to go through Hulk Hogan to do it. So, my goodness. It's nuts. And like you said, he can kind of do anything at this point like he's still kind of creating like in the tito match we didn't talk about it but uh undertaker will try to put tito in a body bag in the middle of the match (laughs) he will try to just like entomb him instead of winning the match and tito will have to fight his way out of that body bag so like who knows what this guy will do does he even know the rules like he's here trying to just bag people up in the middle of matches so man that's there's something very threatening right there I'm glad you brought that back. That, that startled me. You know, yeah. it wasn't after the match thing. It was middle of the match. I'm just going to put him in a body bag and be done with it. <laughs> Don't get the three count. When he's in a body bag, that'll be it. So I know Undertaker 
and I think maybe Ultimate Warrior had like body bag matches when he was still around. Yeah. So there's there's some history there. I don't know if we'll ever see that uh, come to television, but um, there's history there. Absolutely. So we're going to go from an Undertaker victory uh, to Jake Roberts, who is actually going to be on the set uh, on the on the platform with Gene Erkeland. Uh in an interview. We got G- uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan on the commentary. Gorilla Monsoon says, this man is dangerous. Bobby Heenan says, I've said that for years. Gorilla Monsoon <laughs> says, this man is sick. Bobby Heenan says, I've said that for years. Gorilla Monsoon says, he reminds you of me of you, and I've said that for years. And Bobby Heenan says, I've always admired this man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought that. That's my first note as well. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy that Bobby Heenan gets to have a little preview of Hollywood Hulk Hogan where he can kind of confirm well I always told you that this guy was like messed up and you never Mm -hmm. believed me but of course because it's not Hogan he can move on to admiration and to feeling some uh some camaraderie now with Jake the Snake although please do note that he was hiding behind Sean Mooney on prime time so that admiration uh, is still mixed with some fear yeah and that goes also to Jake Roberts saying I'm beyond good and evil absolutely so don't think Bobby Heenan forgot Andre having a heart attack thanks to this man. Like, he oh, knew man. all along what Jake was capable of. Yes. God, so rich. Oh, so this, this is where we're at, and this is why I keep saying 91, 97 over and over again, because in a promotion where Vince McMahon, who wears the suit and works out and, 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 and looks down on anyone who gets sick, like, WWS presentation is always buttoned up. And it's professional and it's northeast and it's this and it's that and it's the other. But the my favorite times are when the promotion just becomes chaotic. Yeah. And I get it in ninety seven and ninety eight because their back is against the wall. And Vince McMahon has to do things that I don't think he has any interest in. Uh there's a uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin biography coming out. I think it's A and E. Um it's coming out soon. I saw a clip of that. And they asked Vince McMahon, what did he think of Steve Austin when Steve Austin first came to WWF? And Vince McMahon's response is, he's wasting my time. <laughs> wow. Wow. I yeah. I can believe that so easily, though. If you get a guy like Steve Austin and you're like, the ringmaster, then yeah, I mean, like, you probably didn't even want to take time to think up that gimmick. So, geez. <laughs> Uh, but think about that. The, yeah. You know, that's the guy that is going to bring you out of the hole, and that is his legitimate feeling mm-hmm. about him. It's just, and it, I knew that before he said that. I've known that since, you know, forever. And it's just that they made him the ringmaster, and then they got pissed off because, like, I made you the ringmaster so you can go like wrestle people, and I don't ever have to think about you because I'm never going to do anything with you. <laughs> and then you keep getting word from agents and others that Steve Austin who you probably don't remember, he's on your roster, is unhappy with his gimmick. And finally, Vincent Man is just like, you know what? If he doesn't like his gimmick, you know, let him do what he wants to. And then they, so the creative sends him all those, like, Iceman gimmicks, you know, <laughs> because they think that's what he's trying to say. And so that's that's the WWF you're going to get that's out of Vince McMahon's hands. And I guess this is in Vince McMahon's hands because it just is how it is. But it doesn't feel like WWF. Yeah. It feels like something else. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would love to hear uh, a candid uh, report of what was going on backstage in this era. I don't know if one exists, but a, a truthful one. I don't know if it's just Bruce Pritchard, 
kind of being moved aside and other people <laughs> have to come up with ideas. I don't know if it's Jake who was, uh, I think, already promised a creative job and was already weighing in on this stuff. I think certainly he had a big influence on his own booking. Um, so we see some uh, great benefits of that. I don't know. Something was very different in this period of time. And uh, it really is one of the best periods that I think we're ever going to cover. Yeah, it's chaotic. And even if it's 97 percent to see it overlap, it's still three percent something else. Yeah, sure. Gene <laughs> um, Huckland says you have never been one to make friends. And that's just a casual comment. But it also reminds me of Jake Roberts not being able to get into the bachelor party. Yes. Yes. Very good point that I'm so glad again that we uncovered that. Cause I do think even though they barely even talk about it ever, I feel like it's an important point that really kind of hammered home. Well, Jake, you know, you had a tough year, your snake was killed, all this stuff, but we we're still a little uncomfortable with you. We, we've seen you with that snake. You know, sometimes you like do interviews in the shower, like you're a weird guy, um, so we're just not comfortable with you. And guess what? It all kind of came home to bite them in the butt, literally in one case, as we'll see in a bit. <laughs> it's the old baby face trick too. Like I'm low key saying all of this is your fault and it was your fault from the beginning, but yep. you know, they're not taking those orders anymore. Cause Jake's just going to keep on, uh, keep marching. Uh, he is Jake, so Jake knows those tricks too. So he's yes, not phased. absolutely. Yeah. Um, he says he had fun with Elizabeth while Savage was unconscious, knocked out. Like the belittling of Randy Savage, that Randy Savage is nothing anymore, continues and continues. Masterful stuff. He turns to Sid and says, chivalry is dead. It's 1991, not 1521. You're not King Arthur and there's no round table. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because he will say that Savage, he's making a fool out of Sid just using for his own purposes. But man, I'd say Jake is also making a fool out of Sid just verbally here. Uh, not that that's so hard to do, but uh, even so Jake really on his game once again here. It's masterful. He, he, he segues from that to Randy Savage is letting you Sid pick up the Lance that he can't carry. Mm -hmm. That right there is a, is a one punch, two knockouts. <laughs> It is. It is. It's that good. It's incredible stuff. Because it, it's, it's playing on you're not macho anymore. You're not a man. You can't do this. You can't do that. And also, Big Stupid Sid is not anyone's salvation. You know, it's amazing. We will not talk about one Jake Roberts match on this whole set, and yet he might be the MVP of this set. Mm -hmm. He is just so damn good here. Yeah. Yes. And this is, again, we're, we're right back in that trap about, you know, about what is what are we watching exactly here? <laughs> is it wrestling or is it something else? <laughs> I don't know. Some guy's talking and there's a ring nearby, but we're not in the ring, so I don't know. Uh, this segment is so good. And half of it, of course, is Gene Okerlund, who I have to especially praise here. I think nobody was in a better position to kind of try to take this tone with Jake Roberts. And, man, what happens at the end? Like, that popped me because, like, that never happens. There's some incredible thing happening right here. Yeah, Gene Oakland is going to get chased off the platform, and he's going to be hiding, looking like a five-year-old in the crowd beneath his parents in the front row. Yeah. Oakland is as untouchable as anybody in the WWF, I think. Like, nothing can happen to Gene Oakland, and yet – this is great because Jake pretty much tells him at the end, like, if you don't like what I'm doing, you better keep my, your mouth shut because I'm not playing games anymore. And then as Jake leaves, 
Okerlund is like telling him off again. So Jake, like he wasn't lying. He wasn't kidding. He pulls out his Cobra and Okerlund, he has to literally dive off the platform into the fans. And like, it's just nuts because it can't happen. Like never have I seen Okerlund have to flee like this in my whole life, I think. Yeah. Outrage culture is supposed to be a babyface Hulk Hogan thing. And Jake Roberts was a babyface for many years. And he is playing what well, he has taken the babyface performance and he's playing it be saying be careful what you say to me because i'm not playing any games sounds like a hulk hogan who just got beat up by sergeant slaughter and now all all bets are off now (laughs) yeah it sounds like hulk hogan's about to slug brother love or something you know (laughs) like he's warning the misbehaving uh interviewer and he'll just beat him up if needed it's exactly that except uh it's just a different format than you would expect (laughs) You might be right. I didn't have Jake Roberts as the MVP. I don't know if I even thought about that, but all of this might be because of Jake. Because it, I think Jake has taken the playbook over to the dark side with him. Mm. If you want to think about it like that, taking the babyface playbook into the darkness, into the realm of hills, and like Ultimate Warrior ran away, Randy Savage is just kind of kind of paralyzed or stuck, and Hulk Hogan is gone. Like. Nobody knows how to respond to this. I think it's why we get so much Roddy Piper because he can just run in and start swinging. He doesn't have to like figure out the narrative, but I think he has everyone just kind of bamboozled right now. And like the world is temporarily on hold while we try to figure out what Jake Roberts is doing with the babyface playbook while he's standing over there with Paul Bearer and the undertaker. <laughs> he is really turning everything on his head and maybe in more ways than one. Cause as I mentioned before, like this is a guy who was getting involved in creative and lo and behold, Creative seems like it's never been better yeah. than in this era. So this this really could be a lot of his influence. We don't know for sure, but it's very possible. Yeah, because what is akin to this? Is it not Ric Flair with the a belt that's not WWS consistently and continually holding it up and calling it the real world's title? And we know that at the end of the day, there will be no punishment for this. Like yeah. Hulk Hogan is not even going to pay him back or prove the WWF title is better. In fact, Ric Flair is just going to go on and transition that belt for the WWF title. So what is even going on in this world right now? Yeah, yeah. When uh, <laughs> it's what Vince Russo could never understand is when you flip the script only occasionally, it matters much more. If you do it yeah. every day, then you just have a messed up script. But, man, if, yeah. you, if you wait <laughs> and you do it at the right time, like that's what really gets people, man. There's not a lot better than that. Yeah, I, I wish I could just stay in this stuff forever. Oh, you know? yeah. This is one of those times where you just want to stay and live in it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not all pleasant, though, because we got, we got, we got to see Jake a little bit in the ring, I guess, because we're going to go to a, another segment here, a uh, snake bit segment. Oh, man. And I will say for Jake, we're not going to watch his matches here. His matches with Savage are among the best that I think Jake had, so even that I'm looking forward to. But, man... Yeah, we, we will see some uh, interaction in the ring. Uh, Jake has just finished beating a jobber on Superstars, and uh, he is looking over with great meaning at Randy Savage on commentary. He will pick up that mic. He will call out Savage. Uh, Vince and Piper are there, and they're cautioning him, like, oh, you got to hold back. You know, you could be reinstated soon. You've done all this work. You know, you, you can't go in there right now. But Jake, you know, he's not going to leave well enough alone. He says, oh, I almost used to look up to you when you were the champion. 
but that mm. that was in the past. That was what you used to be. And uh, he he keeps on him, keeps on him until Savage stands up. There's a big pop for that. Savage says, "Oh, I'm just going for a closer look." And uh, <laughs> Piper's yelling after him. Man, there's so much good stuff in here. This is a great segment, just even in the setup. Yeah, this is iconic. It will live forever. I wanted to look up because I've heard stories about this and I can't remember. And so I don't have much to say here because I forgot to go back and look up the history. But Savage, I think the same way he wanted to get punched out by a boxer, I think he he wanted to die from the snake, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, you can't let him do everything that he wants to do. Well, he he comes as close as, uh, you know, it will allow, I think, because this is great. I got to say, you know, if you're going to be a wrestler anyway, like. I would never be a wrestler because you'd have to be insane to be a wrestler. But if I was, I'd be like, yeah, man, let's just do something crazy. Like, I'm already here. <laughs> let's yeah. do it. Let's have a snake bite me. Like, what, what, what's the worst that can happen? So Savage goes all in on this. Um, he gets up on the apron finally, and uh, a referee is trying to, like, hold him back. And in that split moment, Jake strikes at him just like a snake, slams his head on the post, ties him up in the ropes. It's very mm-hmm. quick. It's very violent. And then we get this iconic moment. And I'm really glad we were able to find kind of the unedited version because a lot of them have like the red X over it or what have yeah. you. That's how they replayed it. But this is this is full and uncensored. Jake will bring out that cobra. That snake is pissed. And that snake will just start chewing on Randy mm. Savage. And it is one of the craziest damn visuals that you will ever see in wrestling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. A year ago, we were saying, of course, kids were going to go to the turtles over what they were getting. But, man, this is some of the wildest children's programming you're ever going to see in the history of the world. Uh, I have no idea what their ratings were, what their buy rates were. I haven't looked up specific for this era. I think it's hard to win people back when they've already moved on, which is why this will ultimately not pay off as much as they hoped. But I got to hope they at least kind of stem the tide or maybe even drew a few people back because like compared to 1990, this stuff is so amazingly good. Yeah. I'm old enough now to see that the thing that gets imagination is, is the work life and the, you know, well, this is what the world is, and it, it's the, the grayest version of any reality that you can have. Mm. You know, so as a kid, that imagination is wide open. And so it's a combination of this feeds the imagination, but also because you're so young and you don't know any better. Like this is the first stuff, these are the first elements of pro wrestling I ever saw. And mm. I don't know how to explain to you how you could be shocked by what you're seeing. And also think, of course, like, why wouldn't somebody have a snake and put it on someone in the midst of this great drama of things that are unfolding before my eyes? So it both expands the imagination, but it validates the imagination, too. So as a kid, all these emotions you're going to start feeling about life, about yourself as a human being, about interacting with other human beings, how deadly and destructive and everything that's on the line and and age and death and everything to come. This is the kind of drama that makes more sense than 20, 30 years later when it's like, oh, what's my to-do list today? Because I live for my to-do list. I live to send these emails and answer these emails. Which one makes more sense on a human level? And it's the the one with the the snake on on, on Randy Savage. 
kid, as you become older, uh, it is hard not to become mainly concerned with uh, what is realistic and what is, uh, you know, going to be real and necessary and all this stuff. But, man, we've talked about it before. If you want authenticity that mm. has nothing to do with realism but is absolutely authentic, just look at Jake the Snake, who, runs, who calls himself the Snake, who brings the snake around all the time. Look at him just sick that snake on Randy Savage and watch that snake chew on his arm. And you tell me there's not some authentic... Uh, aspect of that that speaks much deeper than any realism could yeah and if it tells you anything it might be that when jake the snake starts targeting you you're better off going to the ring and taking the snake bite than letting him continue to antagonize you from wherever you are like eventually even if you're going to be tied up in the ropes and take the snake bite you've got to go in there and get the deal started and get the deal on the road i think you're better off moving to uh china or something and just uh putting a world between yourself and jake roberts but barring that you might as well go get bit because uh once you do that then maybe that's the worst that will happen to you although maybe not as we will see when we move into uh some of these later shows but for now this is the worst and, uh, man, this is incredible because a, a snake biting a guy is crazy in and of itself. And yet it will be so much more than that. That chaotic feeling that you mentioned is probably never more intense than it is right here because you have that snake biting. But also Jake is like slapping Randy Savage at the same time. People are running down. Liz is running down. She's screaming. Piper is down there. He's yelling. He's trying to get Savage out of the ring. He has to like throw savage out of the ring in the end because savage will get free he's bleeding he might be poisoned he's like stumbling around he can't get at jake he's all messed up uh vince mcmahon probably has one of the best calls of his life here because he is selling this he is like yelling and screaming about this it's an amazing scene and if you've never seen it you gotta watch this one yeah uh, they're earning they're earning everything it's it amazes me that just a couple of years ago, if you have Ultimate Warrior or Randy Savage or Hulk Hogan together, any pairing, that's the biggest thing of all time. Like, it can't get bigger, not even because the storyline matters or it doesn't. It's just those guys are together, and nothing's bigger than that. Nobody told Jake Roberts or The Undertaker <laughs> that it doesn't get bigger than Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, and Hulk Hogan because they are handling them like nobody told them this. <laughs> that's great i love when somebody um punches above kind of where they're supposed to be yeah, yeah like jake he punched above and then up into the next like dimension or something because uh what did savage used to say he's north of mars and south of hell or mm. something like that and guess what jake put a snake in that dimension he's in and that snake is wrecking the place yeah it also tells you with savage this is a savage that's going to have the best storyline no matter where you put him. Because right now we're going to have Hogan and Flair and there's going to be some good Hogan and Flair stuff, but we're having Hogan and Flair just because of their names. Like that's the, that's the first reason. Whereas Randy Savage is building a real time storyline with Jake Roberts that's going to live forever. And then the moment that we transition after that tornado in January, uh, Randy Savage is going to start telling a real time storyline with Ric Flair that's going to be top notch again. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's incredible stuff here, absolutely, and it, it is very effective for the audience, because you'll see at the end of this segment, 
Yes. Um, kids are like crying by the by the score <laughs> through mm-hmm. the audience. Uh, and just like this, this it's affecting a lot of people, and it, it's amazing stuff. I don't want to say they deserve it. That's not what my comment's going to be. <laughs> but I do want to just present the fact that this is a man who has been running around for years putting snakes on people to the point that Andre the Giant was supposed to have had a heart attack. And we've been cheering, and nothing's been traumatizing. <laughs> so... While I represent or I recognize the amazingness of the storyline and I like that it matters to them because Randy Savage matters to them because it's a great story because it's a great visual. I also want to say you hypocrites. <laughs> <laughs> if you'll if you'll cheer the snake, you'll cry for the snake. That's what yeah. you got to do. You know, it's like if you open up to let that snake affect you, then you you you've done it to yourself. Yeah, because a lot of them, too, you know, it's like, oh, we just put the snake on them and didn't bite them like that. But man. The great Andre the Giant, you know, had terrors at this thing, and, and we thought it was just hilarious. So that's just well, let's, let's hold on to that memory too. I, it's it's the symbol of the best uh, heel turns. Is you will just take what you did as a baby face, and mm-hmm. uh, you will just do it the same, but you will do it in a way that is more evil or whatever. I, I don't even know. That's not quite the right word, but I'm just thinking of Hulk Hogan who will always belittle his opponents and kind of like steal from them and mock them. And he will do just the same when he's Hollywood Hogan, but now he's a bad guy for doing it. So, yeah. you know, it, it's the same energy right there. The purpose is different in a way. Like, mm. Oh, Jake's doing it for the fans and he's doing it for the good. And Hulk Hogan's doing it for the Hulk and maniacs and he's doing it for the good. But then when he tells the fans to stick it, like he told Randy Savage, I'm not really your friend. I've been faking to be your friend and we don't accept you as world champion. We're going to take the belt off of you while standing with him while you were still a tag team. And that wasn't a heel turn, but you tell the fans to stick it. And then all of a sudden, like, I think his motives might be bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, it's the tribalism again. It's not yeah. really about good and evil. It's just about, um, you know, who, who's on which side of the line. Yeah. And Jake is, full-fledged on the other side, but he has that playbook. And, again, they don't know what to do. Randy Savage is tied up in ropes. Like that, that is very symbolic mm-hmm. that these people are tied up. They're upside down. They're locked in rooms. They don't know what they're doing. The cleverest among them is Hulk Hogan, and we will get to him later. And he tries to be more clever, and he ends up in the same place. So Absolutely. Great stuff, great stuff. Indeed. Well, that catches us up to Survivor Series on that. Probably the best storyline in the WWF. Maybe one of the best storylines they ever did. We have another huge storyline that we've alluded to more than once. It is Flair. It is Hogan. It is Roddy Piper. But more than that is Bobby Heenan. It is Mr. Perfect. It is many people getting involved in this one as well. Paul Bearer. Again, yes, Paul Bearer, the bridge between these storylines in many ways. And Undertaker as well. So, Man, there's some hot stuff here that we're going to cover right right now. Yeah, this, this is it, folks. Like, right in the midst of all of this, Ric Flair is in the WWF, Hulk, um, Hulk Hogan. We're going to get that, that payoff, that dream match up. But it's hard to go back and realize that, are you even going to get that? Or did Bobby Heenan just somehow steal the big gold belt? Because this is a man who is not above making promises that he can't deliver on, and you know, he's been running around for a little while with that belt, but there's no Ric Flair. So what is going to develop here? And as Ms. Van said, uh, it's going to be mostly Paul Bearer who's bridging us 
along in this storyline, and we start with a funeral parlor with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Indeed. Before I get to that, I just thought of this and want to say it before I forget it. The main event of the WWF has been in a sorry state, I think, for the last two and a half years Mm -hmm. after Hogan and Savage had a great feud in 1989 leading up to WrestleMania V. After that, we got Zeus, we got Warrior, we got Slaughter, we got all this sad, sorry stuff that took that goodwill and burned it like a Hulkamania shirt. And yet now, Ric Flair is going to ride in on his white horse and he is going to save the main event of the WWF because we are about to get some of the best stuff that we've seen in years based around that world title. That is so well said because it's just factually correct. Like a lot of that goodwill that got burned got burned from the top down. And, like, can you just bring back fans? Who knows? But quality-wise, we're going from – we went from 100 to zero, and now we're going to go from zero to 100, <laughs> which just makes you wonder, are they just capable of this all the time, but you really, really got to force their hand? <laughs> I think history will say yes to that question, but uh, let's get into the specifics. Before Ric Flair has arrived, we still have Bobby Heenan carrying – that WCW championship around. He will go on the funeral parlor, and uh, Keenan will say that the belt, of course, belongs to the real world's champion, Ric Flair. Hogan is just a cheap imitation, and so is his belt. Keenan is going on, but Roddy Piper, he gets pissed. He jumps off commentary, uh, and I love he doesn't come in hot exactly. Like He comes in kind of with a, a, a cocky grin on his face, he knows what he's going to do. I love Vince McMahon is like trying to stop him, but then he's like resigned to what's going to happen. It's a very nice setup here. Yeah, there are smart points throughout this entire segment. We, As we've been saying, this is not a very WWF-ish era, but we do get moments. So when the, when Bobby Heenan's out there with the belt, Vince McMahon says, look at what he's carrying. And Piper's like, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> as if he so, didn't know. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, my gosh. And then, like you said, I love all the teasing of like, it's just the, if if Savage or Roddy Piper ever leave the booth, it's just the end of everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, normally WWF in this era is so orderly. So the fact yes. that things are chaotic, like they're trying to hang on to that order, but it's not going to happen. This is exactly what you said, though, about Russo. If they can just get out of the booth and there's no consequence and there's not a history of something, then who cares if they get out of the booth? But we are continually watching Vince McMahon just lose control of this thing. And it's not about him and it's not about that. It's not about Hulk Hogan. It's Bobby Heenan, who's not a manager. He's a broadcast journalist, but he's owned the funeral parlor with a belt that doesn't belong to the company, claiming a name that doesn't belong to the company. What in the world is even going on? Uh, I, I love it. That's kind of chaos. Uh, Bobby Heenan says that Roddy Piper professes to be a broadcast journalist. And Roddy Piper says... I don't profess anything. <laughs> All right, buddy. <laughs> great retort. We're gonna get we're gonna get a moment in this. This is how great great storytelling is. Uh, we're gonna get a spit shine uh, for the belt, and it's gonna be brought back later on. And we'll get to that when we, when we get there. But right now, it's just this whole thing of. All of these worlds, depending on what you know and what you don't know, because. You got Bobby Heenan claiming a champion who has no ethos in the WWF. 
but he has so much ethos that he hasn't even appeared and he's turned the company upside down. You got Roddy Piper, who seems like he's just a WWF defender against something outside. But if you know the Roddy Piper, Ric Flair history, then that's a whole nother story. So it's just layers and layers of good stuff here. Yeah, I definitely think about Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, a little mid-Atlantic reunion for you here. They have some great battles in the past for sure. They are no strangers to each other. And uh, they never say it exactly, but Roddy Piper, I feel like, oh, he makes it clear in his uh, rhetoric that he knows Flair. I think here he says he scares Flair. So uh, you know there's some kind of history there, even if they're not going to explain all the details. And it's also another thing that makes this storyline work so well. We know WWF before filing their lawsuit will be very offended that the WCW would have the nerve to suggest that Hall and Nash might be from up north. <laughs> you know, how much of this ethos is the fact that they got a belt that doesn't belong to this company on their show? Indeed. I was definitely thinking that. We will see Piper spit on that belt, throw it on the floor, and uh, just, just, just stroke your chin for a moment and wonder – why the WWE always kind of like sheds tears about the fact that Medusa mm. went and threw that women's title that they didn't even care about in the garbage. Well, maybe it's because you spit on their own world title <laughs> a few years before. So let's just think about that for a moment. Yes, yeah, it's always the end of the world. And Vince, you know, somewhere there are Vince McMahon and others talking about how WC, well, WCW, it got personal. They wanted to win and, and hurt another company. And it's never been about that. Oh, okay. my gosh, yes. Okay, Vince McMahon, pal. who declared no one could carry Starcade unless, you know, if they wanted yeah. WrestleMania. So, Jesus. All right. <laughs> yeah, non-existent territories would argue if they were not now non-existent. <laughs> Lord. Oh, my God. So good. Yes. Yeah, so there's so much heat, though, there. So much. Again, like Ric Flair, how many people have ever... This is heels are making magic. Like we, we talked about with Jake and Undertaker, how many heels have caused this much disruption, mm. and you've not seen them on the show yet? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He has not even arrived, and yet chaos is following ahead of him. It is the vanguard of Ric Flair at this time. Yeah, and we jump from there to nine nine ninety one. Bobby Heenan brings Ric Flair to WWE primetime wrestling. Absolutely, and I love this. I love. The way this is cut together is very good. It captures some of the best stuff because before this, we have Bobby Heenan running around backstage before the show. He's nervous. He's insulting everybody. He goes by, and it is it is hilarious. I love this little segment, so do not skip this if you check yes. out this video. Bobby Heenan roasts everyone behind the scenes. <laughs> Watch it. It's brilliant. Uh but then, yes, it is time, live and in living color, the greatest champion ever in front of that primetime studio audience. Bobby Heenan will bring out Ric Flair in his robe. Maybe should have worn a suit, but even so, like, Ric Flair is here. And uh, overall, I really enjoy Ric Flair's um, appearance in WWF. But I will say... Uh, he was a little bit maybe reduced to kind of that cartoon. Like, I don't know if he'll ever wear a suit in his whole run here. And maybe it's a small thing, but like the robe kind of became his costume instead of, I don't know. Do you know what I'm getting at there? Yeah, right. I agree. Benjamin Button was the first person to express that explicitly to me years ago. Mm-hmm. And like he Flair has been his favorite wrestler for his whole life. So like I took his word on that, but you also see it. And I'm going to say some things I like about this segment, but I think between that and introducing him where he, he needs to go off 
in a way that needs is fitting of Ric Flair showing up. But you got that tiny little audience that you also got to play to. I don't know if this was the best way to do it or not. I've definitely thought about that as well. Primetime uh, is a great little place, but it's not the place to maybe have a big debut like this. I don't know. Like, it still works out pretty well. I enjoy this segment. But uh, could there have been a better way? Yeah, maybe. It's possible. It made me look at him a couple of times the way I fear Vince McMahon is looking at him. Like, why is he yelling so loud when there's people are right around him? And, like, he keeps trying to self-regulate with the audience, but he's also trying to make this declaration that all these years. So, again, we're going to get into it, and there's a lot I like about it, but there was an awkwardness about it, and there was a – I don't think it was the right place for the right time. It is a bit weird. I mean, other wrestlers, I guess, did it a little better because you didn't notice it as much, but it's always a little strange that you have to play away from the audience but also to them yes. on this set. Uh, much better, I think, the uh, NWA set, yeah, the the one kind of the light blue sort of space-age looking. You probably know the one <laughs> I mean. Like, you see Ric Flair in front of it all the time where you can just cut the promo straight out to the audience and the camera. Like, that's the way, you know, that that's a little better than this yeah. sort of awkward setup we have here. Absolutely. It's beautiful, though, at times. He calls Bobby Heenan the greatest mind in our sports. Mm, yeah. He says not to be braggadocious, not to show off, even though they've been carrying a gold belt around, putting it in everyone's face for, like, weeks now. <laughs> uh, so he says, you spit on this, and you grabbed him. And then he says that Roddy Piper put himself in permanent retirement. Indeed, he promises to smack him the first time he sees yeah. him, and he will follow through pretty well on that promise. So, again, heels doing what they say they will do. There's something special about that. And yeah, and being outraged. like He's doing the same thing Jake Roberts is doing. Like, you spit on the belt, you grabbed him, here's your payback. Mm-hmm. So something is, something is amiss uh, in the WWF in the most beautiful way. <laughs> yep, the heels are really uh, acting out. They're really having their day for once, which is rare, so it's very nice to see. And again, in a world where Hulk Hogan is never really going to get his revenge, we have <laughs> weeks and weeks of WWF television where Ric Flair says pretty much as NWA champion, I have been calling you out for 10 years, and you've been running, and now I'm on your front porch and you still don't show up. It's clear as day that they fully intended to go with Hogan and Flair at WrestleMania through all of this. So, um, again, the conundrum of we're actually, we prefer what we've got, and yet it's very obvious that it's not what was intended. And the fact that they couldn't make it work, it it really makes no sense to me still that they couldn't make this work somehow. I'll talk about that later. We're going to watch a Flair-Hogan match that they did, and it'll have its strengths and its weaknesses, but man, I'm definitely going to speak on the fact that they should have been able to make this work with everything else that we've seen them work with. Yeah, my my thought, and I'll get to that too, after I watched that match, 100% I know they could have made it work. I don't know what the issue was, but right. you can't tell me. The fans were hot for that thing. Very, yeah, so I none of nothing about it has ever made sense, so we'll try to parse that out as we go through it. And, and so all you end up with, you know, is that WWF promoted a story where the NWA champion wanted the WWF champion, called him out for 10 years. The WWF champion was afraid. He, the, the courageous NWA champion showed up on WWF programming, called him out some more, and then the WWF champion still didn't face him. <laughs> yep, and the NWA <laughs> champion ended up with the title, and then yes. Hogan didn't even get it back, so... Oh dear! So that yeah, that that's a little bit of sweet justice uh, there. But 
that's the beginning, and we're going to get some of those lines again. And I'm not even that big a fan of the Flair Hogan thing. You know, like, I like what we got, but I'm going to tell you something. When we get the Flair Hogan match and the Flair Hogan funeral parlor, there's something special in those segments. Yeah. So, WWF, you hit it all. Like, why is WCW not out of business, and why is WWF not doing the biggest numbers that they've ever done? <laughs> Indeed, like... uh that I have uh, my own qualms about how WCW did it, but they capitalized on this feud. And hey, like they were even farther from their prime at that time. They they yeah. made this feud into the biggest thing their company ever did, and they started whipping uh, WWF around the block. You know, kind of starting with that feud. So, you know, there's something that uh, maybe maybe people are not admitting if they are defending WWF in this time. Yeah. So Flair's there. Bobby Heenan is there. They are smug. They are happy, they are self-satisfied, and it's only going to get better for them and worse if you don't like it. Mm, yep, absolutely so. Uh, we move on to a few Ric Flair matches. I'll say if you're a fan of Ric Flair's wrestling and who uh, doesn't appreciate it on some level, it's a great set for you because we got some very good and some very different Flair matches where he goes up against uh, some different kinds of opponents. First, we're going to go back to Royal Albert Hall, that incredible venue. I love it. I love it. I love this match as well. It is Flair versus Tito Santana. And uh, just as far as in-ring stuff goes, this is probably my favorite match on the set because they do some very fun stuff here, and the crowd is really into it. Absolutely. We'll jump into that in a moment. First, I want to recognize uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan, Mm. who are on the call because Bobby Heenan is in that role that will win him an award at the Royal Rumble 92, where he is in the booth, but he's also invested in Flair. And he wants to stand up and celebrate Flair when Flair comes down to ringside. Gorilla Monsoon says, without any sarcasm, with, with all earnesty, do what feels right. If you want to stand up, stand up. And then Bobby Heenan stands up, and then Gorilla Monsoon says, will you sit down? I'll have you taken out of here in a minute. <laughs> That's perfect. That is that is just exactly the monsoon to Heenan relationship, man. <laughs> just hearing that makes me want to watch every episode of Primetime before the network changes. So, yeah. my God, that's amazing stuff. It's so beautiful. If, if you can't get that, then I, there's nothing beautiful in the world for you. <laughs> so good. Okay, so here's the funny thing about Ric Flair. And I am a big fan of Flair, but... Like, when I come in cold, like, for five seconds, I was thinking, you know, Bret Hart's right about this guy. He's wrestling the same matchup. I can predict everything. I can fast forward. And depending on where they're at in the ring, I know exactly which spot they're doing. And then, like, after you start watching for a minute or so, you're like, yeah, do that spot. Do that thing you're about to do. (laughs) Because it's theater, and it's over the top, and he's involving the whole crowd. Like, I haven't gone to that many plays because that was not in my upbringing. So, like, when when I first started doing it, like it blew my mind away to see a set and they're talking kind of loud because they're they're projecting and bringing all of us into it and you get lost in that world to the point that when you step outside you have to reorient reorient yourself to the actual world mm. and that's what Ric Flair's doing when he does what he does yeah no absolutely i if you can't <laughs> It never makes sense because Bret Hart also uh, repeats a lot of stuff in his matches, and all great wrestlers do because that's literally just part of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you have Ric Flair, and he's got his stock spots, of course, 
and yet they are so fun and they are so crowd pleasing and crowd grabbing that I don't know how you could reasonably criticize them unless you maybe don't understand wrestling. So I don't, I don't want to put it that strongly, but maybe I have to because man, what Ric Flair does, it just works. Like you just have to watch it and you understand that it works. Yeah. He sells so big, it involves the crowd. Like when we when we did WCW the Legacy series, the one thing we agreed on is that Sid would always have a job because for some reason he involved the fans more than almost anybody in the business. Sure, when he's looking you know, around like he's lost, those fans they they want to help him. You know, they think he's looking at them. So <laughs> yeah, and so we said that hey, you could have zero talent and you could maybe make a career. Imagine having as much talent as Ric Flair. And involving the fans as much as Sid Vicious. Oh, yeah. I mean, I look mean, how much Flair involves the crowd himself. Like, it's yes. it's on a super high level. I've never noticed it as much until, because I haven't watched him for so long. And it, I think we get these faults, like NWA is wrestling and WWF is entertainment. But the things that make Flair almost better than some WWF guys is that he is less wrestling in the most literal sense like he is theatrics and all these other things within wrestling whereas wwf it feels like it almost has to be that it's not wrestling at all or it's very like the wrestlers are the wrestlers like it's bret hart in the strictest form or ricky steamboat in the strictest form and then everything else is like the undertaker or like mr man blown up in a limo (laughs) but rick flair like what we call wrestling it's all of that, like, 60-minute matches and competitions and urgency. But there's more, like, personality in it than a lot of WWF in-ring stuff. Yeah. So it's a lot more – it's just a lot more complicated, I think, than the, than the categories we put it in. Absolutely so. And I love what you're talking about, yeah, engaging the fans. I will say uh, of, of all the bad things WWE has introduced in the last 20 years, they've introduced some good things as well. But of all the bad things, one of the worst things that they've introduced is now how they teach all their wrestlers, play to the camera, not to the live fans. And man, playing to the live fans is half of what made these wrestlers so great in the past because there's nothing like that live connection. That is how you get people so excited to go home, they want to watch it on TV, they want to come live again, all this stuff. So to teach opposite of that is just insane to me because you can see the benefits of it every time you watch any old wrestling like this. Yeah, it's like the age of the the, the director being the Vince Russo writer where Vince Russo wanted to tell you, hey, now make sure they understand who's writing this and, you know, (laughs) And now, like, I've never been blown away by a storyline in wrestling and been like, when you see how they directed that uh, scene, (laughs) you know, that is arrogant to me. It's number one, it's thinking that you're something that you're not. But number beyond that, it's also ego and arrogance. But also, this is this is authenticity. This goes to why I could prefer WWF in the moment over WCW and still be a WCW guy, because I want authenticity and Vince McMahon wants polish. And I think at the end of the day, that might be the number one criteria. Because if something is polished and directed, then there's no urgency, no reality, no authenticity. It's just, you know, look how good the show is. I want to feel when I am watching it, like everything that they're telling me is true. I understand that it's not, but I'm also capable 
of suspending disbelief. I have that capability as a human being, and I want to do that. I don't care if I'm watching a sitcom, a drama, or professional wrestling. I want to feel it like it's real. I want to feel it like it's real for them. I don't want to brag about how well the scene was directed. I would say there is nothing less interesting to me personally, and this is true not just in wrestling, but in film, television, anything, to see something that is technically proficient yet lifeless in terms of how it is presented. You know, if you show me something that's so well-made or so well-wrestled, and yet I feel it has no life, it has no connection, it produces no reaction in me beyond just to kind of like dryly appreciate the, the technique of it, I am not interested. I will be off. I will be going to do something else at that time. <laughs> Absolutely. I am in a moment where, for whatever reason, YouTube has started sending me an abundance of the U.S. office clips. And <laughs> there are so many. I, I love Michael Scott, but there are so many Michael Scott scenes I cannot watch because it gets so awkward that I literally I cannot sit there. Like I can't finish the scene. So could I tell myself? Okay, you're about to watch this scene with Steve Carell. You know him. You know him. He was in those movies that you liked. He's only pretending to be Michael Scott. It's not awkward. They're all working together. Could I tell myself that and then watch the scene and not be bothered by it? Possibly. Would there be a reward in doing that? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the reward? Okay. Like, I'm not there. They're not paying me to, like, hold something and be on the set and see it from that angle. So I don't know what the reward is. They sure work together well, I get, yeah, like, yeah, yeah what's the point of that? <laughs> My goodness, it, it seems awkward, but if you think about it like this, like, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not there to do that. I am there to feel something, to experience something, and again, a shout out to our prof, who um, I apparently, I've mentioned the book, The Storytelling Animal, uh, Jonathan Gottschall, uh, before. That book is all about the fact that we are, we have from all times been storytelling animals and like when people meet they're either going to mate or they're going to go to war or they're going to do it like there's only so many things they're going to do and like it's hard to be a human being the emotions and the consequences and storytelling is where we try things on it's where we tell stories like i went over there and there was a lion and you know i could not get to the tree i would have been killed or i i overcame and i found this thing like we are telling stories at a core place because it's very hard to be human beings and we're all still figuring it out. And I know part of the reason that I find those Michael Scott scenes so, so awkward is because there's a part of me that has behaved like Michael Scott. There's a part of me that still wants to see the world like Mike. Like he, he's both ignorant and arrogant at times, but he's also sometimes just innocent and naive in a way that I just wish we could be like. It feels like he could be surprised by something that happens. And so you watch scenes and you're like, okay, it might be okay to be 13% Michael Scott, but when you become 14%, that's when nobody will have you and you have to accept that and you need to make a decision on it. Like we are learning from these things because we are storytelling animals and there's always so much on the line. Indeed. Uh, perhaps uh, a warning against uh, being too cynical or something, because uh, all mm. Michael Scott is, uh, he's certainly not cynical. You know, there, yeah. there's something fresh about that. So 13% seems about right. <laughs> yeah. It's that improv, too. Like, yeah. I, I couldn't do improv when I was young, but, you know, 
I had to be on the narrative. Like, this is what I am. This is what the world is. This is how it works. You teach for six years and you learn to do improv. And improv is a beautiful thing. Like, if you can do improv, you are alive in a moment. Like, something is happening in real time. So that there, there are values. There are values to these things. And the Ric Flair thing, you know, can you be a champion that's so good that you call out Hulk Hogan on his own turf and be such a coward that you spend half your match with Tito in the corner, you know, <laughs> and when a man is in the corner begging off, is he a man about to be defeated or is he a man who's about to defeat his opponent? Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. I would say, yeah, for all I was thinking about this because sometimes uh, I'm all about hierarchy. I'm all about like kind of the top stars being able to go over the lower stars. And yet Flair often gives a lot to his opponents, not to just any opponent, but a guy like Tito, like, you know, he's going to beat Tito. It's still he's begging off. And yet there is some element of strategy and guile and cunning there that you really can't undersell. So it just somehow it all comes together. And this is a great match. This is a match. Like I said, it's probably my favorite actual match on this set is very enjoyable stuff. Mm. Yeah. When he goes over the top, flipping over the top, there's not one thing that can happen. There's like three things. So, you know, yeah. you don't always fully know. It's what makes Bobby Heenan's announcing during it because Bobby Heenan attaches himself to Flair because he thinks that he's going to have a ride again that's going to put him above Hulk Hogan. He starts screaming in this match, get up, champ, the world's watching. Like, almost a little bit of shame in watching Ric Flair produce what he's producing. <laughs> and yet, what does the story tell us then? And this is with Jake Roberts, it's with Randy Savage. Like, how many of us, whether you're Ric Flair begging off in a corner, your macho man getting bitten by the snake, there are moments in your life that could simply be the end of the narrative. It might be a horrible thing happens to you, or you might just be going through it and like little things are affecting you to the point that you feel like I can't get out of bed. I can't keep doing these things. I can't keep like persevering. I can't I can't take it, you know, but somehow Ric Flair is going to get out of that corner. Somehow Randy Savage is going to get untied from those ropes. And that's what storytelling is. You know, we got to watch them go into the ropes. We got to watch the snake bite to figure out how they ever get out of the rope and how that snake is ever removed. And what in the world do you do next? And that, whether it's the storytelling of the wrestling or it's a Ric Flair match, there's always a next. There's always a next. There's always a next. He's upside down. There's always a next. He's begging off. There's always a next. He's being military pressed. There's always a next. He's rolling out of the ring. There's always a next. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I am a big fan of Ric Flair. I, I would never say I think he is my personal number one, but if you want to take, like, all his parts together, he, he may be a number one wrestler ever. I, I think a lot of people would say so. Um, he was recently talked about in that way uh, in Benjamin Button's great, like, Living Legends um, series. So uh, you, you can't say enough good things about Ric Flair, and any good thing you could say, it's probably been said already, but even so, you got to recognize the just incredible ability of Ric Flair because it is above and beyond. Yeah. Well, I was thinking when I watched him um, in some of my classes, I'm doing some positive psychology stuff and mm. values are what come naturally to you. And they give you energy and they allow you to be something good in the world for other people. Strengths are something you're just good at and you can get better by doing them, but they, you might not even value them. They might not give you energy. 
I don't know if anybody ever was more aligned values wise to be who they were and how they were for so long as Ric Flair was. Like when I watch him, I I think that's a 10 year old playing in their backyard, (laughs) you know, and he's just making a living doing it. I've never seen someone more aligned to do what they're doing than what Ric Flair does night in and night out. Yeah. It's impressive that he came into something so instinctual, especially because as we've talked about, I think before, uh, he wanted to be like a Dusty Rhodes clone originally, uh, yet to do so, I feel like would have played so against type. Maybe it just seems that way. But yeah, what he fell into, there is maybe no more instinctual wrestler than Ric Flair. And just the way just the way he does it. Yeah, like it's just something incredibly natural about it. That's a be- that's that's so beautiful because the thing that there's a long way to instinctual is such a funny and like contradictory, <laughs> but that's where privilege comes in too. Like, can you find something? Are you within the time that you live that society will not only allow but will pay you for? That also happens to be this thing that is so instinctual that if there wasn't any way for you to do it. You would either be doing it in your backyard or you would just be deprived your entire life. Mm. And he took the long path to instinctual. And God is beautiful to look at. Yeah, it really is. This is a great match. Um, at some point, we do have to move on from it. Yes. I'll just praise it one more time because Flair is great. Crowd is great. Venue's great. Tito is awesome in this match. I like He's a perfect fired-up babyface to go against Flair. Please watch this match. If you only have time to watch one match on here, please consider making this one the one because it it is so fun. It is a great match. Yeah, Tito wrestled him like it was the NWA matchup. Yeah, absolutely. He adapts just instantly, you know, and uh, it's – Tito's just one of these guys who you like, oh, they probably should have been in the NWA this whole time, you know, like Greg Valentine, like one of those. Like, they were made to wrestle these kinds of matches, so whenever they get a chance to do it, it's just great stuff. Yeah, I agree, 100%. All right, so Flair gets the victory in this, as you might expect. He pulls the tights uh, quite a bit, so if you ever wanted to see uh, Tito Santana's (laughs) butt, you will get a full (laughs) view here, a full moon. Over the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, but How many <laughs> matches does, does Ric Flair wrestle that someone doesn't like lose their trunks? As usually it's him. I was gonna say yes. like his his butt is a well known sight, but uh, <laughs> here he does it to someone else. So there you go. I want to say a gigantic thank you to you for including Ric Flair in Texas Tornado because mm. even though that's only loosely part of my history, something felt I don't even know how to explain it, but something just felt good watching this matchup it, like something aligned within my by my past present and future and getting to watch flair and texas tornado that's this is another match that i had not seen before but when i saw it i'm like i want to watch it i want to see what they can do these are guys who fought many many times in the early and mid 80s here they are in 1991 meeting up again in a weird scenario it's the wwf it's barcelona it's a match that almost doesn't exist like it's kind of out of the the main scope um, but this match, it's very fun as well. Like it's different than the previous one, but man, these guys, you could tell they know each other cause they have a natural chemistry. Something about it feels right. Just like you were saying, and the crowd is super into it and it, it's just a very good experience. So I'm really glad you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it's, it's fun. 
Sean Mooney, I don't know if he's becoming the next Vince McMahon, but he's bullying poor Alfred Hayes a little bit. He saw Ric Flair leading a Congo line earlier, but Alfred Hayes didn't see it because he wasn't invited. And, man, just wild stuff there. And then we get Flair coming off the top rope and being caught in the claw, which is just a great moment, I thought. Oh, so great. It's epic. Like, Kerry especially, I think, wrestles this match. Like, he, he doesn't know what company he's in, or maybe he doesn't care, because, yeah, like, he will apply the figure forward to Flair, which is, like, you don't do that in the WWF, I think. Right. Um, but, yeah, he will be doing the claw. He will be doing all this stuff. Again, it almost feels more like it should be NWA or even World Class or something. Like, the match they're having here is very different than what you would see if it had happened on television. It is. Uh, I think check out both of them and just if Flair's going to win by pulling the trunks uh, against Tito, he's going to put his feet in the rope against uh, Texas Tornado. <laughs> Absolutely so. So it is a super fun match. And yes, I'll also praise the commentary, which is very good. Sean Mooney and Alfred Hayes. Alfred Hayes, something about him. I think he's just a very easy guy to bully. And yet he will not actually be bullied by anything yes. you say. He will like laugh it off and he'll go along with the joke and, just seems like he'd be a very fun guy to do commentary with. Yeah, I don't think many people understand this quality because I don't think we see it much. But like he's so easy going about it, not because he's passive, but because he knows who he is and he knows what quality he brings. And like Sean Mooney's not shaking him by telling a fictional story where Ric Flair didn't invite him to the party. <laughs> I love that story, by the way. It's a very nice yes. touch. Uh, also, just a little weird aside, Danny Davis, the referee here, gets a lot of praise as referee, so it is nice to see that uh, he was forgiven for his lifetime transgressions that got him uh, banned from ever refereeing again. He's back, and he's getting praise, so good for you, Danny Thank Davis. Thank you for saying that. That's in the middle of my notes, is that for the big matches, you have to bring out someone with the credibility of Danny Davis. <laughs> I don't Would they... Yeah, they some match I watched recently, they were talking very specifically about, like, the referee that you need to bring out. Maybe it was this one. Maybe it was another one. But, yeah, no, a lot of good praise for Danny Davis here. Yeah, and it's somewhat deserved. Like, he's been very straightforward. And, like, who doesn't have a past? We got the Hebners, you know. <laughs> Evil twins and uh, shady things they'll do in the future. We know all about that, so... <laughs> Man, good stuff, though. You got some Undertaker matches earlier. Now you got some Flair matches. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to jump back into the story. Remember, at the heart of the segment we're in, it's Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, and Hulk Hogan. So we're going to get back into that business. Absolutely. We have another edition of the Funeral Parlor, that amazing top, top shelf talk mm-hmm. show. Um, Flair comes out. You got Roddy Piper, who, <laughs> what a great showing for Piper. After kind of some uh, some down periods, because he doesn't even get involved in this, but on commentary he's like trying to leave at every second. He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go grab some milk. Do you need anything?" He's trying to go over, and Vince is stopping him. And man, it, it's a great period for Piper. He has some great stuff through this set. It is a great period for Piper. He does a great job of. And again, something else to Vince Russo. Not to keep talking about Russo, but sometimes you tease somebody wanting to do something and they don't get to do it. They have to restrain themselves, and it makes it even better. It's so disrespectful. The way Flair, Flair did this on the uh, prime time, but he does it here, and he says, you know, you want to spit on something? Come spit on me. And then he says, first time I see you, and he mimics kind of slapping his hand, lights out. So I'm just going to slap you around and knock you out because you're nobody and you're just on my way to Hulk Hogan. Like he is pleading 
for Roddy Piper to get out of that booth. But Roddy Piper's like, I got a job. I'm trying to stay employed. So it's it's a tough moment, a lot of tension in this segment. Uh, I love when Piper gets into that. It kind of explains why he's not just going out swinging like he would have in the past. It, it shows some growth from Piper as well. Um, Flair continues on to Hulk Hogan, cuts a great promo on him. He says, while you were in Hollywood, I was winning world titles. I was paying my dues. Uh, he says, for all the kids out there who love Hulk Hogan, there are more women who love Ric Flair. Yes. So some very good stuff here. Maybe showing the difference in uh, demographics between Flair and Hogan. Yeah, this, this is top notch. Don't tell me they couldn't have had WrestleMania. Number one, we'll get to that in the match. But even in the – he says, we're outside this big glass bubble you live in, Hulk Hogan. Uh, while you were in Hollywood making money, Thunder Lips – I was winning world titles. He is disrespecting everything about Hulk Hogan, and he's doing it from within the WWF. And again, where is Hulk Hogan? And I don't know if it's this segment or it's another one. No, it is uh, Ric Flair attacks Piper. But they begin – the video comes in with a little bit of talk before they go to that segment, and they're talking about Hulk Hogan making Suburban Commando. Yep, yep. So – the ethos, like call Ric Flair a liar about anything that he's saying. He's saying it, and it's true, and he's doing it from within the big bubble that protected Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan's not going to do a thing about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure there were some Hogan comments through this. I did not include them because with our limited time, I mean, they're all the same at this point. Even when Hogan's yeah. there, he's kind of not there. So let's yeah. be honest about that. <laughs> This is an excellent promo where he he just disrespects Piper and Hogan. Piper's in the building, does nothing. Hogan's not in the building, does nothing. Mm -hmm. So Bobby Heenan has delivered on the real world champion, and the real world champion has come in like he doesn't respect any of this, and he's still waiting for anyone to do anything about it. You know, it's funny. I hadn't even really thought about this framing, but you pointed it out. You're very astute as always. Uh, all the baby faces in this era are kind of like tied up. Or, or not present or yep. not able to be present the way they want to be. Hogan with his movie. Piper kind of chained to commentary. Savage like really chained to commentary. Sid is supposed to be helping everyone, but he's getting hurt because he's Sid. Ultimate <laughs> Warrior's gone. Like nobody is there to like really stand up for this. That's why poor Tito has to like try to go out there and, and fight all these guys by himself. So God bless Tito. You know, he even beat Undertaker, let's not forget. So he's there. He's the one who's really trying to hold it up for everybody. Yeah, and no disrespect to Tito. But the same way, if you've been wrestling Sergeant Slaughter, you're not ready for Ric Flair and The Undertaker. And if you treated Tito like this for years, you probably can't just call on him overnight to take care of all the problems in the company. <laughs> Sadly not. Uh, more is the pity. But still, he, he gave it his best shot. So. Yes. But then you're so right that that's what we're seeing. It, it is Tito and Greg Valentine standing in a gap that Piper can't do anything. Savage can't do anything. Warrior is gone and Hulk Hogan's halfway gone. And man, it's so disrespectful. Like they're disrespecting this stuff. Like Bobby Heenan and Andre, like a lot of times you didn't see a lot of disrespect because Bobby Heenan wanted to be Hulk Hogan. So like he wanted, he wanted to win the war without firing a shot because he wanted WWF to still be intact so he could play Hulk Hogan. Like this is now people coming in and just like burying people and disrespecting them and just saying, hey, none of this. Like we're going to we're going to stand on your turf. But like the credibility comes from outside of it. And yeah, so far, so, like they might be right. 
Instead of trying to take over, they're trying to tear down. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a different feeling. It's an amazing thing to behold, and we're finally going to get some action. But again, it's not going to be Piper coming to Flair. Flair is going to go to Roddy Piper. Absolutely. Yeah, this isn't the segment I was talking about. That's the next one. But this segment also is a favorite of mine. Uh, you have uh, superstars. It's Vince, Savage, and Piper on commentary once again. Flair enters. He's going to go uh, wrestle a jobber in the ring. They're, they're all telling Piper, you got to keep cool. Piper's, oh, I'm going to keep cool. I got my job. I want to keep my job. I don't want trouble. He's trying to hold it together. Uh, credit to Roddy Piper. Ric Flair walks right over to the commentary booth. He walks up on the platform. He starts poking Piper, smacking Piper. Piper stands up, turns slowly, and, man, just like you can feel the heat in this segment. It's over the line. It's it's just it's over the top for sure. Yeah. This is beautiful tension. Uh, this is where Piper says, I don't want no trouble. I need a job. I got a job. But it's also Flair will get in Piper's face and keep saying, you've got a problem. You want to do something. But then he'll turn to Vince McMahon, which is away from Piper, and start talking to Vince McMahon so that he can swing around and take a cheap shot at Piper. Oh, so good. Piper goes flying off the platform. Flair's down after him. He goes nuts on him. Flair's trying to use a chair. He's just hammering him. And then it gets even more nuts. Again, we saw it with Okerlund, and now even something else, which can't happen in this era. It's not allowed. We'll see Vince McMahon jump off commentary, try to help restore order. And not Flair, but Piper will pick up a chair, and he will swing it blindly, and he will clobber Vince McMahon. Mm -hmm. And it is just pure chaos once again here. Yes. Good call. That's that 91-97 overlap where it's just mm. it's spilling. Like you, nobody is safe. You can't just you know sit around and commentate because not everybody's gonna leave the curtain and walk straight to the ring just because you position them to do so. <laughs> and it's also for those people who rightly say that you don't get the full Ric Flair, even when you're not calling him the dirtiest player in the game, he's still behaving like the dirtiest player in the game. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. This is Steve Austin, stunning announcers and uh, causing chaos, and it's six years before it's time here because uh, we are just seeing that pure chaos that will become really popular in the Attitude Era, and we're getting a huge taste of it here, and, man, it is just so good. Yeah, and just a year or two ago, you would think if a heel looked at the announce booth and saw Roddy Piper and Savage sitting in it, <laughs> they would be running the other way. Yeah, absolutely. There's no safety in Vincent Man Again, like I said, I turned on, I think, of Randy Savage and Crush. That's uh, 94. I think Savage uh, throws Vincent Man down at one point because Vince trying to get him not to get involved. Mm. So like, there's been this little flirtation here and there with these things going out of control. Um, this is, I give more props in 91 than I do 97. Because 97, ECW and WCW had to drag the WWF <laughs> kicking and screaming into a world of actual like quality uh, presentation, mm -hmm. but man, this is 1991, and I don't have any idea what's going on. But it's it's out of control in the in the best of ways. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is, and that's a great point. This is really predating everything, and you know, uh, other companies will produce things that will be in a different tone than this, and yet that chaotic element is really coming on here. And I, I do have to wonder. We're looking ahead a lot, but. God, I've seen some territory stuff that uh, that really gives me a flavor of this as well, because there used to be in certain territories a lot of this stuff, intersecting storylines, chaotic moments. So maybe they're looking back as much as they are looking forward. 
Mm, well said. And it's, you know, it's just hard to imagine, though, because they, they would have you think they've never seen a territory in their lives. So. <laughs> yes, for a company that is usually over-polished to the point of, uh, you know, sometimes not even being fun for that reason. Uh, they're in the rough right now in the best way. That's why it is, we're going to these Madison Square Garden matches. We're going to see Flair and Piper, Flair and Hogan, because these are house shows that actually have been recorded. But it almost just seems fitting that we're going there because that's one of the more unpredictable, out-of-control audiences, and all of this is out of control. So in a way, it almost feels like, oh, this is on purpose. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, I feel like it has to be. They try out these house show matches. They can be more free with them. These are not shown to everybody. And, uh, yeah, there's just um, there's something special about them. I really enjoy these matches we're going to talk about here. Yeah, and this is reaping the benefit of everything that's come before you, other promotions. Mm. You know, you might have access to Madison Square Garden, but you're bringing in Flair and Piper's history from a lot of other places. Absolutely. Whether people knew it or not, like back to mid-Atlantic, back to far back in the day, you know, the earliest of the 80s even, 10 years or more, um, playing off of that. And uh, there's there's a lot of rich stuff going into it here. I don't know what to make of some of Flair's entrances because – it partly feels like he's almost overwhelmed, but then he's going to turn it on and become Flair later. Like, mm. that's something with Flair and Heenan. Like, they can play when they're not winning. Like, they are the lowest form of anything, and how do they even get there? And then they get one poke through the eyes, and then they're like the most, you know, over-the-top braggadocious thing in the building. <laughs> they can turn it on and off real fast, and uh, it's it's great to see, for sure. I gotta say, I love that Bobby Heenan is actually at ringside for this. You don't see that a whole lot in this era anymore. He's pretty much done with that. Uh, by the time next month comes around, we'll have Mr. Perfect in place as kind of the Heenan stand-in. But here you got Heenan himself out there, and uh, it's very good. At one point, Flair kind of like runs out of the ring and flops right in front of Heenan, and Heenan mm-hmm. freaks out about it. It's just amazing chemistry between these two. You wish Heenan could have done it full-time. Yeah. Everything's right. Like Piper's in the right mindset. Flair's playing it right. Bobby Heenan's down there. Lord Alfred Hayes is hyping it right. Like everything's <laughs> working, I think, uh, at this one. Absolutely. And yeah, I definitely got to praise Piper as well here. This is probably one of the best, like, matches, matches that I've seen Piper do because, uh, you know, he is fired up here. He wants revenge on Flair for all he's done. He is not afraid to cheat just as much as Ric Flair. He's definitely playing up to all of his strengths. I'll say again, bad Piper is about as bad as there is, but good Piper, Jesus, man, there's nothing much like Piper when he's actually on his game. Yeah, I have this as one of my favorite Piper matches, and I said it was personality-driven because... Piper and Flair both want to – this is almost the story of when two people behave a certain way. Like, let's say two brothers or two sisters or brothers and sisters, and one of them gets in trouble because you know better than to behave like that, and the other one kind of gets off because that's just who they are. Mm. Um, I feel like Flair will play this game with Roddy Piper. Like, let's both just see how crazy we can act, and let's see how much we can, like, like top each other. <laughs> And but Flair is also Flair is both involved in that and losing it in some way, but he's also playing Roddy Piper mm. because he has a whole nother layer of like tricks, and he's getting Roddy Piper in this one dimensional mindset to just go off and go crazy and pay a price for it. 
Absolutely. There's something more calculating about Ric Flair. Piper may be crazy like a fox a lot of the time, but Ric Flair, like, he isn't even really crazy a lot of the time. He'll play yeah. it up when it makes sense. But, man, he, he does have those layers, just like you talked about. That's what you get to. in this. It's ebbs and flows of Piper just coming on strong, Ric Flair playing tricks and, you know, like doing three things to get to one place with Piper's everything for Piper is one-to-one this to that. Like he's not, he's not going out of the way to get anywhere. Absolutely. This is another one that I highly recommend. You make time to watch. If you have to pick and choose, make this one of your choices, watch it soon before April four, before we lose the network mm-hmm. as we know it. And God knows what it'll be on Peacock. We don't even know what that's going to be like. So, so by all means, watch this while you have the chance. Yeah, it's it's, it's brilliant. It shows the energy, much like Hogan and Flair, which we'll get to. There is energy for some of these matches and feuds. Mm, absolutely so. Great stuff. Uh, we're going to move on to the segment, and this is the one that I was talking about at the top of the show that uh, is really one of my all-time favorites. I could probably say that about a number of these segments, but this one in particular has always stood out in my mind. Uh, we are back on the funeral parlor, I believe, for the last time on this set. Uh, once again, the funeral parlor just, it is the road that all the great stories walk down in this era. So praise again for Paul Bearer, who is here. Hulk Hogan is his guest. He is here to show off the caskets they have picked for Hulk Hogan because he is having the gravest challenge against The Undertaker at Survivor Series. Hogan comes out, big pop for him, got to admit it. Hogan, he really shows some savvy here because he is checking out the coffin uh, as soon as he gets yeah. there. So I'll give him credit for that as well. This is excellent. I want to drop back real quick because I watched the Flair promo from Madison Square Garden after oh, yeah, he beat sure. Piper. Go ahead. And Bobby Heenan says, we just polished off Piper, which is a reference, I think, to Piper ah. spitting on the belt and polishing it at the very beginning. So that's, that's beautiful. And then from Madison Square Garden, Rick Flair says, to Hulk Hogan, I'm in your very own backyard, big man. You can run, but you can't hide. If you don't like it, do something about it. So <laughs> it can't get more personal than this, and it leads into exactly what you're saying, one of my favorite segments from this whole show. Hulk Hogan's on the funeral parlor. He gets a big ovation, and then we know what they did to the Ultimate Warrior, who's not even in the company anymore. So Hulk Hogan wants to do casket inspections. And he wants to check that big one in the center because it's got Hulk Hogan's like labels all over it. So his Undertaker in it. Paul Barra assures him you don't need to check these things out, which, you know, obviously then we're on the level. And then how did he get the ultimate warrior? There's that casket in the corner of the set that he came out of. And Hogan's getting ready to go back there and check that one out when when other things start to distract him. Indeed, who should show up at Ric Flair on the scene. I believe the first time these two have been face-to-face, Ric Flair gets in Hogan's face. He said he's had to listen to his name for years. He's talking him down. Hogan is about to respond. He starts to speak. And then, in a moment that lives in my mind, Undertaker indeed comes bursting out of that standing coffin. He walks up like Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees behind Hogan, and he attacks him, and he starts choking him. And, man, this is my first feeling, and I'll have another one before this segment is over. But, man, we've compared Andre and The Rock a few times in a a curious yet valid connection. But if you want to talk about Andre's successors, I think you have to talk a little bit about The Undertaker here. Because when it comes to getting choked, 
There's two times that come to mind, and that's Andre and now Undertaker, who's going to put that glove around Hogan's throat. Beautifully said. This is this is everything Earthquake Hogan wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. So Ric Flair is kind of – this is where the third man comes in. Like, he comes in. Like, this is Paul Bearer. It's Undertaker. It's Jake Roberts. So what is Ric Flair doing here? And it's right when he's going to open up that casket, uh, the standing casket the Undertaker's in. He doesn't get to do it. Flair takes the term big man because Hogan is much taller than Flair and turns it into a sneer and an insult. Every time he says big man, there's something insulting about it. And then the same Ric Flair a segment or two ago said, we are standing outside the bubble that you're living in, Mm. says in this one, I just burst the bubble that you're living in. (laughs) Man, that's amazing. I'm amazed. That he was allowed to say some of these things by Vince, you know, clearly there was some leeway to let them do this storyline, because at times he's really just sneering at all of the WWF, and, you know, in the end, Hogan, like we've talked about, won't even really get his revenge, he will never get to answer these comments, um, so, Flair, yeah, he will just get to act out and speak and just never really be retorted, so good for him. <laughs> Yeah, I, I fear for what Hogan had planned for him at WrestleMania when I watched some of this. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, my gosh. What a moment. As Taker is choking Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair will hold up both the WCW and the WWF titles mm-hmm. together, and he will hold both of those titles in his hands for a moment. And that's got to be an only time ever that that ever happens. It's amazing. Even they're holding the belts opposite of each other before that. I don't know, maybe there's just good manners in the world, but like, no one could have convinced me, hey, if Flair goes to WWF, he's gonna spit on and shame everything that WWF's ever been, and nobody's gonna do anything about it. And if Hogan goes to WCW, they're gonna decide to have uh, three matches where, uh, Hogan beats Flair, Flair beats Hogan, and Hogan beats Flair. Now Hogan's just gonna beat him three times, retire him, and job him out. You know, like, what is going on in these worlds? Like, what? What is happening? But it's just it's just the way it played out. Yeah, never would have guessed that uh, WWF would treat Flair better than WCW would treat Flair when these yes. two go up against each other. This is pure chaos in the best way. Like Miss Van just said, it you got to have how you got to almost have two screens to be able to see two things that you never would have imagined, which is Ric Flair on WWF television holding up the big gold belt and the WWF title, and on the other side. Undertaker becoming the closest thing to Andre the Giant we're going to see post-Andre the Giant. And a third thing that uh, is also unbelievable, Randy Savage and Roddy Piper, they've had enough. They will get up with chairs. They will come over, and they will hit Undertaker, and Undertaker will not even sell this. So you have two of the biggest stars in company history, and the Undertaker is shrugging off their attacks with weapons. So holy crap, like another thing that you would never expect to see. Yeah, and in the midst of all of it, he is just going to kneel down and rip that cross right off of Hulk Hogan and drop it on his chest. Yeah, and this is as Andre as it comes, but man, this is about the best Andre callback that you could have done. This is far beyond. I feel like someone else tried to rip that cross at some point recently, and it was nothing, but this, this is everything. This is big. No, this is it's so significant because when Earthquake – dropped on Hogan, Hogan ripped it off himself as if it had happened. <laughs> and that, that says everything about that year and that segment. And here, there's something about Hogan's overly tanned body and his red and yellow 
and his shaking and moving. Like there's so much life. And then there's that cold glove that doesn't even seem alive. And it somehow touches that skin, touches that cross and just rips it off in a very casual, nonchalant way. Like he's not trying to impress Hogan. He's not trying to, you know, show that he did something. He's if anything, he's demonstrating this is how easy it is. And it's past tense. It's already done. And he just leaves it on his chest. Yeah. And this, you know. All love to Andre, but Andre kind of grabbed Hogan when Hogan still thought they were friends, so Hogan yeah. wasn't even defending himself. But Taker, he took Hogan down, and then he shrugged off two of the biggest guys, and he, he's not even really looking at Hogan when he rips his cross off. I, as I recall, he's yeah. staring a hole in Piper and Savage, and at that moment I'm like, man, he doesn't even need Jake and Flair. I think Taker could fight all three of these guys. And... The same way we've been saying that Flair's going to say all this and Hogan's not going to do anything. Undertaker's going to do this. Then he's going to go to Survivor Series and take the world title from you. Yeah, I mean, he's going to beat Hogan. Flair will sort uh, Hogan will sort of beat him back, but sort of not really also. And then, yeah, like, he will never really be defeated conclusively by these guys. He will have his baby face turn and he will just run on to become the Undertaker that we know. So there's some huge stuff happening here. Yeah, I think Hulk Hogan's uh, going to head back to that Suburban Commando set pretty soon. <laughs> Is there any wonder, man, it's it's so strange. Hogan will be totally gone after WrestleMania 8, and he will not show up until 93 again, I think. So uh, it's bizarre to think about that. And then, yeah, to see all these strange things happening with Hulk Hogan, it's a very different time. We're seeing a transition going on here. Yeah, there, you could make the argument if you wanted that the Undertaker kills Hulk Hogan because <laughs> anything that we see from Hogan, even him getting over, is only gonna make it's gonna hurt his legacy more than it's gonna help him. What what does he do of merit after the Undertaker's done with him? Yeah, nothing. You know, he he behaves badly in the Royal Rumble. He does a horrible uh, performance at WrestleMania. Uh, he comes back and does another horrible performance at the next Mania. Like nothing in his WWF career is going to be worthwhile really anymore after this. So this, this is about it, man. Yeah. Undertaker killed Hogan, killed warrior. He's out here literally putting in the ground, all these bad acts, which need to go away. So Undertaker, I see he's, he's living up to his name. Actually. I never in my life would have imagined when we started calling Undertaker and Paul Bearer, especially Undertaker, mm. you can either be like, you know, you can praise him because, oh, he's 30 years in the business and he had the the, the streak. This has nothing to do with any of that. Mm. This is year one, and he has done – I think Bret Hart gets a lot of credit for this because he's going to beat Ric Flair and we're going to start the new generation. But Hulk Hogan just said, hey, I'm not wrestling Bret Hart. You know, <laughs> Bret Hart didn't get rid of the Ultimate Warrior, and Bret Hart didn't get rid of Hulk, uh, Hulk Hogan. The Undertaker – I don't know who, I don't know again if Vincent Man, he's in the booth, I guess, but I don't know who's not watching. But the Undertaker has come out here, and as you said, he's burying bad acts that could previously could not die. Like the Warrior and Hugging both hulk up. Mm. And there ain't no hulking up left. Like the Undertaker, God bless the Undertaker. <laughs> God bless him. He put Hogan on that path to be sat on by Yokozuna eventually yes. and be, be out of the company. So, man. It's great stuff. It is. I, I really do love this praise for Undertaker because uh, he has been a favorite at many times in my wrestling fandom. And I remember especially, I love what you're saying. In year one, he's already doing this great stuff. Back when he still had the streak, there was this 
horrible, stupid talking point that was like, oh, you can't break Undertaker's streak because how will people know he's a legend if he doesn't have the streak mm-hmm. anymore? And it's like, oh, he deserves it. He has to keep it. And it was never true. And it was stupid. This guy is a legend from his career. The streak is great, but it's just one little piece of the legend of the Undertaker. And Undertaker earned that status about a hundred times over. So I, I just got to go back to that time for a moment and dispel that stupid talking point one more time. Cause Undertaker is Undertaker and it's so far beyond the streak. So Jesus, let's all get some perspective here. <laughs> Very well said. We also hit this last week, but I want to bring it back real quick because master narratives, I think, run through Bret Hart, then the click. And if you like them or hate them, like it's still they are the narrative. But uh, again, we said last week, who has a better first year than like The Undertaker and then Yoko? And they are part of the same crew backstage. They are best friends. Yeah. You know, and like you just said, Undertaker's going to do this to Hogan. Hogan's never going to recover, and then he's going to be put out with a leg drop by Yokozuna. So Undertaker's going to send him to his buddy, and then we're going to get an Undertaker-Yoko feud out of that. So this is a whole different narrative with a whole different strand and a whole different group that runs through the company just as much as some of the others that we talk more about. (laughs) I got to look more at that group. I know they had, like, their backstage, uh, I forget the name, something with a B, but, like, you talk about Brett and kind of his family, and then there's Sean and the Click and all this stuff, man. I gotta look closely at this little Undertaker Yokozuna group, because maybe they should have come out on top out of all this. Yeah, I love it. Like, this first year, I don't know how, you know, Undertaker's killing it, Yokozuna's gonna kill it, and they're good, decent people, so we will definitely keep an eye out on that narrative as we go. And again, we were. This is the struggle for Hogan, who's a part timer at this point. We're here to talk about Hogan and Ric Flair, and the Undertaker's already stolen the show. So <laughs> it's hard out there right now. It is, yeah. Like Undertaker stole it, Jake stole it. Um, everybody's trying to steal the show. So like Hulk Hogan is in the dust already. I feel like you know he's been he's being lapped by about five different guys right now. Yeah, you, you can't be part time right now. And, the fans has still got history. It's still got meaning. We're about to go to Hogan Flair at Madison Square Garden. And like I said, the fans to me are hot for this. So flipping, flipping that script that, you know, you also can't tell me that you couldn't have done this if you didn't want, if you didn't want it to. Yeah. I mean, putting aside even that the fans are hot, that some of them are chanting, we want Flair, that there's like a real conflict in MSG about which guy they like more. Like that's all great in and of itself. But even putting that aside, I defy this narrative that, oh, these guys, their styles didn't really match up too well because these matches, they're not the greatest matches you'll ever see. But when has Hulk Hogan ever had the greatest matches you're ever going to see? Like, the styles match fine. Uh, You know, Flair works the leg. Hogan Hogan hooks up at the end. Like, that's literally the formula that they both use anyway. So there's no way you can tell me that their in-ring styles don't work together. Plus, both of these guys have wrestled some of the worst of the worst. Hogan wrestled Warrior. Flair wrestled every schlub from one end of the country to the other. And guess what? They made it work. So you can't tell me these two guys couldn't have made it work together. The feud would have worked. The match would have worked. I love Flair versus Savage. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I defy the narrative that they just had to shrug and be like, oh, it doesn't work. We're helpless. It doesn't make any sense. I defy that narrative. I do too. And they wrestled a match to me that I've never seen. Like, it's a Hogan Flair match. It doesn't look like anything else. And 
it makes sense because they're both dirty, cheating, you know, wrestlers. <laughs> and it's a lot of running in and out of the ring and scratching and clawing and, you know, whatever, whatever has to be done will be done. Absolutely so. So it makes no sense. They're always like, oh, these house shows didn't sell well enough. Well, guess what? Ultimate Warrior didn't sell at his house shows either, and you, you still yep. pushed him to the moon. So let's not pretend that that was the reason. And you can't tell me that Hogan versus Sid, like, brought the buy rate down from the heavens or anything, because it didn't. And, yeah. you know, you fucked up with Slaughter. You kept going with that, too. So none of these excuses ever made any sense to me. So let's put it aside. Uh, this is a fun match. They actually have other matches, which I think are maybe even more fun, but this is the one that was most easily available. So easily watch this match and enjoy it because there's some very good stuff in it. Yeah, it's historical um, whether they did anything with it or not. Mm, yeah. You know, to be in that crowd that day and be with like, it's hard to make people understand because we are overly spoiled to the point that we've gone to not getting anything we want and thinking that we're getting it. But, you know, <laughs> these days... Like a guy could be in AEW and a guy could be in WWE and they're at war with each other and then they're like tweeting with each other and it's like, oh, they're actually friends. Like look how, look how quickly they got across the line. Like WCW <laughs> and WWF could exist like within an hour of each other on TV, but the, the miles and impossibility of some of these guys ever getting to the same place. Yeah. So with Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in the same building wrestling each other and you're in the crowd, this is history, folks, and this is this is amazing, and it probably only is more amazing because we don't get Hogan squashing him at WrestleMania. So, you know, enjoy it in its implausibility and in its time frame and for what it is. Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, there is something special about this, and uh, it's a lot better than some of their WCW matches, which yep. are so successful anyway. So, like, give some recognition to – how far this did succeed and how it could have succeeded. And again, Flair Savage is one of my favorites, so I'd never trade it. But man, just don't, in my opinion at least, don't believe the hype that this feud didn't work and couldn't have happened because it just isn't true. And the reason that we say so much of this too is because WCW could explain something to the best of their ability. And there's a 1% hole that there might be something untrue about the statement. And people will take that 1% and, and tear it to the point that it's 100%. <laughs> WWF will come out with flat-out lies that make no sense to cover up some of the biggest potential stories. And nobody ever digs any deeper. <laughs> like, there's no excuse to just be able to say, like, they didn't sell out house shows or this, that, or the other. Like, I don't know what the reasons are, and maybe they're good reasons. But the kind of things... And I, the kind of things that can be said and nobody, there's no second question, blows my mind. And so we're just pointing out that it didn't flop and it wouldn't have flopped. And so whatever the reason is, it's not that one. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, earlier in the show, you mentioned Bruce Pritchard, who uh, weirdly is the unofficial keeper of WWE history, told us that, uh, Sid was a good promo and a good wrestler. So, you know, there are a lot of lies out there that you have to dispel. It just, it is what it is. Both of them. Conrad didn't say anything. <laughs> of course he didn't. I don't even know Conrad, but that just seems right. So it's just Lord. sad. Like yep. that, you know, it's, it's just the fact of the matter. And it's because they liked him. Like he's part of WWF history, you know? Yep. So you can say whatever you want. And that's what I mean. Just listen to them talk like Jr. Tony Schiavone, Conrad, uh, 
Pritchard, listen to them talk about Lex Luger. There are times that Conrad will bring someone on their show and like Arn will end up insulting Lex Luger, but it'll start with like, so tell me what you thought about Lex Luger and then like Paul's and because obviously he's not a good wrestler and he didn't fit the horseman and, and they'll fill in like 10 different lines before the, the other person speaks. And then they'll be like, yeah, you know, whereas storylines like this, they can just say blatant lies. And like, oh, yeah, next point. Sure. <laughs> it, gets, it gets old after a while. It's all we're saying. Uh, the narratives are strong, so we'll bring you some counter narratives and uh, decide for yourself. Of course, but uh, it's just the way we feel. We're going to be honest about it. And... Yeah, so Miz Van blessed us with all of that, and then he blessed us with some bonus on top of bonus. Oh, man, I do want to talk. Uh, in this match, um, we get Mr. Perfect running out kind of yes. towards the end. Um, distracts the referee as Flair kind of smashes up Hogan's knee. Uh, Flair, actually, this is really incredible to me. Maybe the most, like, incredible thing in the whole set. Flair will actually pin Hulk Hogan after yes. hitting him with a foreign object. And uh, that's kind of how the match ends. Like, the officials were run down. They won't tattle on Flair. The match is thrown out, basically. Uh, it's kind of a cheap ending. But still, it just sort of ends with Flair pinning Hulk Hogan. And I'll be damned, you look in that crowd, and, like, some of the fans are clearly cheering this. They're clearly happy about it. So um, it, it's, a, it's an amazing ending to this match that deserves a comment here. There ain't much you can do. I'm a, I got a feeling there are probably some fans who were cheering Hogan, and although he had Flair pinned, you know, you end up with Flair knocking him out and pinning him, and then like a referee like like going into the back of Flair's trunks <laughs> in desperation. Yep. You know, I'm either going to be silent or I'm going to flip if I'm a fan in the building at that time because, again, what it looks like is – Hulk Hogan ignored Ric Flair for 10 years. Ric Flair showed up in his backyard. He forced Hulk Hogan to face him. He forced Hulk Hogan to wrestle him. When they wrestled him, he knocked him out and pinned him. And then the WWF did a screw job afterward. <laughs> yeah, they had to bail out Hulk Hogan from his loss. It really feels like that. So it's a very strangely booked ending. I don't know how it happened, but yeah, like it's, it's, it's very surprising. It's definitely not what you would expect the finish to be. I really want to go back and find the time where Hogan said he was burned out and didn't really care because I don't know if Hogan thinks that he's got a career in Hollywood. Probably. I would think he thinks that um, just because he's Hulk Hogan and everything else he's thought in his life has come true. So, you know, um, because he allowed all this. Look at the way he's booked with Flair in this. And then look how he's booked with the Undertaker Survivor Series. And then look how he's booked at the Royal Rumble. Like, that's a good run of bad luck right there. <laughs> He's asleep at the wheel for sure. Yes. Um, you know, as opposed to previous years, like, I, I don't know. You got to imagine Hulk Hogan looks around at these guys and thinks, well, none of them are probably going to replace me. Warrior's gone. I have to worry about him. I do want to do Hollywood. I want to make Thunder in Paradise and all these other stupid movies. Um, so, yeah, like his mind is clearly not here like it was in the past because he used to be. We talked about it. We praised him. He used to be very compelling. And now all his promos are just like, oh, my opponent would like to kill a child. And, you know, <laughs> and all his matches are just like, yeah, like his booking is all over the place. It's weird. So, yeah, Hulk Hogan asleep at the wheel for sure here. It is mind blowing for everyone. Like, yeah, Hogan, Hogan overrides a lot of stuff in his career, but like he wasn't playing that card right now. And the, the chips were not falling in his favor. You, t- you got an already weak Hulk Hogan. You got an already boring Hulk Hogan. You got an already outdated Hulk Hogan. And everyone he comes in contact with is fresher than him. 
and then they turn out to be better than him. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's, a bad a recipe. <laughs> for sure. It's mind-blowing. Thanks for bringing us back to that, because that is very important. Yeah, Flair, Flair gets the best of Hulk Hogan in Madison Square Garden at a WWF house show. <laughs> yep, and it will never be answered uh, until we get to nope. WCW. So, there you go. Unbelievable. All right. <laughs> Uh, so we do have our bonus footage, as you mentioned. Uh, one more match from Barcelona, which presented a lot of uh, interesting, fun matches. Uh, first, just want to touch on this uh, rematch between Power and Glory and the Rockers. Maybe a bit of a goodbye to Power and Glory. I don't think we have them around for very long. Hercules is kind of looking like Jake Roberts exploded in a microwave <laughs> right now. <laughs> which oh, is... I'm so glad. I have not been willing to comment on his appearance because I love him too much, but... <laughs> Like, something ain't right. Yeah, Hercules had a lot of really good years he doesn't get credit for. And honestly, he's still fun in this match. Yes. But uh, he is looking he is looking different and probably no, you, not. You already told us what he's looking like, and that's exactly what he's looking like. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, but, yeah, it's a fun match. It's funny because, like, I actually probably preferred their pay-per-view match just because it was so different. Yeah. And uh, it really kind of drove a certain story. And this is more like a standard kind of house show match. But it's still fun. Just one more time showing you uh, how good Power and Glory is. Also kind of showing you the Rockers. They'll be gone very soon. But they're still a very good tag team. So just a fun little match that you can watch as bonus material if you have a mind to. Yeah. Everybody wants to make fun of Paul Roma as a horseman. And I used to do it. But what does it say that while he might have sucked as a horseman, he was amazing in Power and Glory? Power and Glory is great. I really like Pretty Wonderful. I even like the Young Stallions. Roma was born to be like a solid mid-card tag team guy who just got in over his head with the Horsemen. I have nothing against Paul Roma. He's got his good points. Yeah. A couple of great foreshadowing moments. Mr. Shawn Michaels, uh, they duck a, a double clothesline by uh, Hercules, and we get a double super kick. And I'm thinking it's not going to be long till that super kick is used on Marty Jannetty. Um <laughs> Then they throw Shawn Michaels over the top rope and he skins the cat. And I'm like, it's half a decade before he's going to win two Royal Rumbles back to back using similar things. Mm. So all the tools are there. The moment is close. Shawn Michaels is getting ready to emerge uh, in the coming months. Absolutely. And Shawn Michaels also picking up the pinfall in this match. So uh, I think they know very clearly and they have for a while who's coming out of this tag team. So it's just a matter of time now, and we're going to see that even more in the next match. Yeah, we started to put some narrative and story to it explicitly uh, as we get the natural disasters who are on their way to uh, um, match up with LOD taking on the Rockers. Absolutely, and I put this on not really for the match. I mean, it's not a bad match, I think. It's uh, certainly better than like if the Nasty Boys were in there or something. But um, uh, as a match, it is what it is. The big story point in this is at one point in the match when Shawn Michaels is in trouble, he's like kind of in danger of being double teamed, Marty Jannetty, and this this gave me more sympathy for Michaels and the decision he makes ever, Shawn, Marty Jannetty just starts running after Jimmy Hart, and I swear he was like barely even provoked, he just runs off, he like runs out of the arena basically, and leaves Shawn to just get obliterated by Earthquake and Typhoon, so... Geez, man, maybe Janetti should go through a window because what a what a lapse in judgment here. Yes, and it's even smarter and better. And did the same thing for me because I wasn't aware of this. But we know what Earthquake's move is supposed to be, and maybe it's not the same as when it put Hogan out. But it's against the Rockers now, 
And so he's trying to do that to Marty Jannetty earlier in the match. And Shawn Michaels jumps off the apron mm. and does everything he can just to hold one of the Earthquake's feet so the Earthquake cannot do that dangerous move to Marty Jannetty. And then when Marty Jannetty runs away chasing Jimmy Hart, it opens up Earthquake's opportunity to do the Shawn Michaels, the very thing that Shawn Michaels saved Marty Jannetty from, that Marty Jannetty opened up to allow to happen to Shawn Michaels. Absolutely so. Having a reason for a heel turn is so important to me, or for any turn, really. It's why when Sid turns, it's not going to be like that satisfying. It's why Jake being barred from the bachelor party is so important, even though it's a small moment. And right here, like, why would Sean and Marty break up after so much success? Well, maybe it's because Marty uh, ran out of the arena while Shawn Michaels got destroyed by guys who were like five times bigger than he was. So guess what? These moments are important. I'm really glad we can include this one here. Yeah. So the natural disasters are going to get that win, but Michaels is hurt and frustrated. I think there's a match where Michaels wrestles Ric Flair one-on-one and Flair gets the advantage and Michaels is laying on the floor hurt. And Marty Jannetty comes out to help him by picking him, picking him up and throwing him back in the ring. <laughs> I believe we might have covered that one, yeah? Yeah, uh, so. We haven't. We may do it in the future. So, yeah. Uh, impressive stuff here in terms of these little storyline moments. Uh, I also know Shawn Michaels refusing medical attention uh, after the match, kind of like pushing away people trying to help him. So, yeah. in 1991... That makes you a bad guy, but in uh, 1997, that's going to make Stone Cold kind of the hero of the people. Interesting. That's a, that's a nice touch right there. <laughs> I think he was ready to kick Marty Jannetty, but he couldn't get his leg up that high. <laughs> <laughs> that or he was already uh, thinking Hogan style. I got to save this for a bigger moment, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. We go to uh, just a few more quick points. Uh, included a Greg Valentine versus Ted DiBiase match on the set, just because that is a match that I wanted to see that I had not seen before. A um, couple little things. One, this is very weird, and maybe only I would notice this, but I swear the little hammer sound that Greg Valentine has when he comes out uh, is the exact same sound effect that they use on Adult Swim on like one of their production cards <laughs> at the end of their shows. So that's just a weird little connection in my mind. Um, yes. Highlight of this, it's a short match, but it's a good one. It's very fun. Both guys playing to their strengths. But, man, Alfred Hayes here. Alfred Hayes, it's like he's Bobby Heenan and Ted DiBiase is Ric Flair because for some reason, Alfred Hayes becomes the Ted DiBiase super fan on commentary. And uh, he he is just hilarious in this match. I love Alfred Hayes' commentary here. Agreed. He calls Ted DiBiase a taunting sort of wrestler. <laughs> Indeed. And every time DiBiase does something well, he's all oh, the sheer artistry of DiBiase. And every time he's in trouble, he's like, oh, Ted is just testing the firepower of Greg <laughs> Valentine. And he's just, you know, every excuse for him. So I don't know why, but I love it. It was so fun. It was hilarious. Yes. And because of Sean Mooney, I came up with another term, which is, baby face fog and so oh. this comes when he says that greg valentine didn't like uh ted DiBiase bending the rules and i was thinking because so greg valentine has already forgotten that he has been a bent a rule or two in his time <laughs> so the baby face fog has landed uh... and and greg valentine has no memory he's just irritated that someone would dare bend a rule in a wrestling match <laughs> 
Oh, I thought you were going to take it a different way. I feel like uh, it could just as easily be a babyface announcer kind of like casts a fog over you and tells you what you're supposed mm-hmm. to see while yes. the fog is over your eyes. Because I don't know if Greg really cared about that at all. I think he would have done the same. But Sean Mooney will tell you differently. I think that's closer to the truth. Like I said, Sean Mooney is behaving. He's gotten his confidence. He's not a rookie, and he is playing Vince McMahon these days. I wish it had been him instead of Michael Cole that had taken yes. over for, for the extension of forever. Like, if Sean, <laughs> oh, if only. So this one, does it end with a roll-up as well? Uh, it does indeed. Sherry will trip up Valentine. Sherry there as well, of course, doing a great job. Uh, Valentine will grab at her, but Ted will roll him up for the victory. So... Uh, very fun. We're kind of glossing over it, but it's a very fun short match that I hope you'll take the time to check out. Yes. I'm also very happy that you included the next segment. <laughs> it's really stupid, but it's iconic. Uh, if you saw it at the time, I imagine it would stick in your memory. It's certainly stuck in mine. Uh, we visit. <laughs> it's so dumb. We visit Sergeant Slaughter, who's like isolated in a weird campsite. He's been sort of like denied and thrown out. By, by by Iron Sheik and uh, Adnan. Uh, he's got stubble on his face. He's still doing his stupid little chin jutting face. Uh, I don't know. You talk about this. Cause this is okay, I'll talk about this one. His grandma chin is on point number one. So watch yes. when he first appears up there. It might be the best one yet. Agreed. Um, I found this to be the most compelling thing he's done in the entirety of this angle. So <laughs> while it was still silly, still ridiculous because, you know, just it is. But you know, it's got a little bit of something, a little bit of grit. Like, he tells you the story about his blind ambition. He wanted to be a world champion, and we all know he wasn't going to be a world champion. And he says, you don't know what it's like to be in hell. I do. Um, Gene Arclay says, you got exactly what you deserve. He said, you're right. And then that iconic line, if you ever watched it, the I want my country back. <laughs> it's a plea, at least, and it like he's it's doing to me. It's closer to hitting something than any of the nonsense that I watched for I guess, nine months or so. You know what? I'll give you that, but uh, it's still very silly. Um, oh yeah, especially because he could have had his country back the whole time. But uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Uh, right, I didn't think it was funny. He denied all his friends here, and he did it before the cock even crowed. So he yes. he is throwing all his old friendships out the window. That was the one line that ruined it. I would have just straight out bragged about it, but he's taking all this responsibility, which is rare. Then he just says like, all oh, those awful people made me do it. And like, <laughs> there, there went the rest of it. There you go. There you go. Oh my gosh. I thought you would appreciate this next segment. Also, maybe you can imagine it's directed at Andre or mm. what have you. Uh, IRS is giving us tax tips and uh, it's a very short little video where he's giving a guy a hard time about his receipts. Uh, his wife's in the hospital. He has all these problems. He doesn't care. He, he, he tells him off, and then he gives us a bunch of tips, including have a priest sign your receipts, and uh, don't don't claim your daughter's buck teeth being fixed on your taxes. And the number one tip is stop crying. So um, this is a very silly gimmick, but uh, it has its fun moments. I think he also takes a shot at tape trading and recording WWF material. He does. He does. He, he knows that Coliseum video fans are the biggest cheats of all. They're probably copying the tape illegally. So that's fun stuff. Which means he's really on Vince McMahon's team, even though we're supposed to think that he's the opposite of Vince McMahon. But, you know, it's an interesting thing. It's the IRS. Uh, I wonder if this is why the, the government is going to come after Vince McMahon, because Vince McMahon fired the first shot here. <laughs> 
they notice, oh, you're going to make fun of the IRS. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Well, what are you doing? All right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, right before he left WCW, he was doing those Jork Foundation promos. So, like, he, he, stays in, he stays in similar lanes in his career. <laughs> it amazes me still that the WWF stole this gimmick, basically, from WCW, because it's the same gimmick, basically, except instead of a computer that tells him how fast he won matches, he has a tax book that tells you how you cheated yes. your taxes, but it's the same, let's admit it. It's the same, except to me, one had great potential and one is can be annoying good at best. Uh, maybe a silly good at times, yeah. uh, but yes, I agree, York Foundation, greater than IRS gimmick, for sure. Then we get the final primetime panel set before they descend into the um, lower stratus of Raw. <laughs> the lower stratus, indeed. Um, we are almost out of time to talk about this, but yes, we get the round table. Viper, Monsoon, Bobby Keenan, and Mr. Perfect with Vince. They will cycle out many baby faces through this, but they will pretty much always have Bobby Heenan and Mr. Perfect there through the run, and they will have some great moments together on this panel. Yeah, if you love history, just watch this and enjoy it. We find out that Slick is going to become an evangelical preacher. Uh, we do, we do, and they argue about the uh, possible sincerity of that. Unfortunately, it will be entirely sincere, so uh, that's a shame. Um, <laughs> the only other thing here is uh, Gorilla Monsoon is like, like thinking Hogan will lose at Survivor Series, so that's another sign to you that Hulk Hogan is uh, not in the stratosphere he was before. Yeah. Um, I will also say that I tell my students when we do podcast units that the reason we got the podcast is long form conversational is because we were made to believe for sincerely for like 15 years that the best that we could do was you two disagree about the most important thing in the world. You got 30 seconds, argue over each other. Okay, we're done. (laughs) And that's what we had from news channels. But I think before we even had that, WWF gave us prime time where Roddy Piper just talked over everybody and you never got to hear what anybody said. (laughs) Indeed. I don't think they invented this. I feel like this was a popular format at the time. This kind of round table. And you're right. It's a lot of people yelling over each other, but uh, there's a lot of fun in these segments as well. So I hope you'll take the time to check it out. You just realize though that I don't want to be rude here, but with the hillside, like here's how I'll say it. If your money was on the line and you had to predict where it, like intelligent or layered statements were going to come from, which side do you think it would come from? And your money's on the line. I don't care who you like. Do you think it's coming from Bobby Heenan and Perfect or Gorilla Monsoon, Vince McMahon and Roddy Piper? I know where I put my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, I think it tells on the baby faces maybe a little too much. <laughs> it kind of exposes them a little bit. So yes. yeah. I don't know. Clearly the best prime time is Monsoon and Heenan behind the desk. I, I, between the studio and this, I don't know what I like better. They both have their strong moments. They both have maybe a few weaknesses, but Man, primetime, seriously, it was the best show, and uh, when it changes over to Raw, it is a downgrade, in my opinion. Yeah, it goes from WWF being a, a, a living community to they could just be anything anywhere else. Mm, yeah, you got it. All right, we are so up on time here, so uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope you will check out this playlist. It is a doozy. We had a great time talking about it. Check me out on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Check out all the great stuff on LPForums.com, WrestlingHeadlines.com. 
uh, on LOP Radio, all the great podcasts, everything out there for you to check out to fill your time. We are here to provide it to you. Thank you. We'll be back next week with Survivor Series. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Yes, until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Discovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet you. He's the one that's scared. It's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet you. He's the one that's scared.